The Survivor Series is coming to you live Thanksgiving night. Your chance to witness the superstars of the World Wrestling Federation compete in a survival of the fittest. Macho Man Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, Andre the Giant, 50 stars in all. The World Wrestling Federation presents the Survivor Series, where teams of five strive to survive. Coming to you live Thanksgiving night exclusively on pay-per-view. Don't get shut out. Order now. Contact your local cable system for complete details. series here on Cronoso, airing on Thanksgiving night 1988 from Cleveland, Ohio. A very sleek card, but 50 competitors involved, as you heard in John Mooney telling us that earlier. However, a much slimmer roster here as we have 10 to 12 contributors here on the Noso. And as always, thank you to in advance to all those contributors who put in their solid work and time here on the Cronoso as we truck towards the end of 1988, and 1989 is right around the corner. But however, let's get to the Survivor Series, one of my childhood favorites on a Thanksgiving night here in 1988. All right, guys, take it away. Hello, Cronoso Monthly. I am Ryan Everett, and we are going to get you started with Survivor Series 1988. So just to set you up a little bit, uh, not a lot of change in the titles, titles history as we come into the show. Uh, our undisputed World Wrestling Federation champion is still Randy Savage. Our Intercontinental champion is the Ultimate Warrior, having won it at SummerSlam. And our tag team champions are Demolition, still on that reign from when they won it at WrestleMania 4. So yeah, not much has changed since our last show, but... So the Survivor Series is held on Thanksgiving night again, 1988. And once again at the Richfield Coliseum. So back-to-back, -back, first two Survivor Series, they have them in uh, Richfield, which I was looking. It's not like they ran Cleveland really traditionally on Thanksgiving, but in 1986 they did run it the day after Thanksgiving. So maybe it was kind of... Uh, the touring-wise, it just lined up there. And, you know, of course, the first Survivor Series we know had a little history about behind the, with Starcade at the same time. So maybe they were just scheduled for there and decided, well, that's where we're going to do a pay-per-view. And then the next year, they just decided it worked well. I mean, if you're able to get, what, 21,000 to come out on Thanksgiving the one year, you might as well run it back the next year. And again, you get, there's a little lower attendance. 13, only 13,000. So they did drop quite a bit. So maybe the same s spot two years in a row wasn't the greatest idea because the next year they go to the Rosemont Horizon and that's up to 15,000. That's about it for that, for that arena. 
15, 16,000 is about what you can get in there. But still, a hot crowd that you'll see tonight. Uh, give you a little background on the Richfield Coliseum itself. It is in, technically, Richfield Township, Ohio, which is just outside of Cleveland. About uh, 35 minutes or so. It's, you know, suburban Cleveland, just like, uh, you know, you'd have the suburban Chicago for the Rosemont Horizon. So... Then it opened in 1974, replacing the Cleveland Arena, which was in downtown Cleveland, it looks like. Yes. So, Hulk, so Survivor Series 88, like I said, Thanksgiving night, 1988, Richfield Coliseum. The Richfield Coliseum also home to, the main thing it was home to for years was the Cleveland Cavaliers, of course. Probably the most famous sporting moment there is the Michael Jordan shot. I would at least say that is what I remember most that took place there over Craig Elo. Uh, but yeah, and that's the Cleveland Barons apparently were an NHL team for two years. And then it became the team merged with the Minnesota North Stars. So they didn't fold into them. They just, or they, I guess they did fold into them, but that losing all their records and stuff. Uh, also have the Cleveland Force and the Cleveland Crunch, two uh, indoor soccer leagues. The Cleveland Lumberjacks of the IHL and the Cleveland Thunderbolts of the AFL. Uh, yeah, that's about it. For they decided to um, the Cuyahoga County, which is where Cleveland and Richfield is in is a they voted to open the Gund Arena in 1994 which kind of meant that there was nothing to do for the Richfield Coliseum now especially if you have a huge arena downtown Cleveland you're not going to have much need for the arena in suburban Cleveland so it's actually it was demolished in 2000 or in 1999 and it is now part of a national park. So I don't know how many pay-per-views we'll be getting that have that distinction. But yeah, a lot of birds in the area according to Wikipedia now. Uh, yeah, but that is it. We will see another Survivor Series in 1992 at uh, the Richfield Coliseum. So it's up there in its list of uh, Survivor Series homes away from home. I mean, I think... The Garden, Madison Square Garden had three. Uh, Chicago will be having its third this year. So, But Richfield, three in the first six were there, so that's pretty, pretty cool. All right, enjoy the show. Bye. Welcome to Cronoso. This is Tim Slavka for the Survivor Series 1988. The first match here, the Warriors versus... Honky Tonk Man. So we get Warriors out first as they start off Survivor Series 1988. Huge pop. He's a mega star at this time. Just really maturing into that warrior that we know from, you know, 88 all the way through, you know, 91 through his first leave. Uh, here's the IC champion with, with co-captain Brother Brudai. The team consists of Blue Blazer, Sam Houston, and Jumping Jim Brazel. They all come out to a huge pop, but, you know, the Warrior is really the star of the show. Not that Brother Brudai... Uh, is, is not a bad character at this time either, but it's it's a warrior show here. Uh, 
they're going to be facing out to Honky Talk Man, whichever one again comes out to Honky's Music Only. He's a team captain with the Hammer, Danny Davis, Ron Bass, and Bad News Brown. Uh, we start off a hot match with Danny Davis coming in right away, and he gets killed right away by Brother Brudai. It's it's really strange. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny that he gets, goes to sleep in about three seconds and gives up. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure what the point of that, of getting rid of Danny Davis so quickly, but it was a quick elimination. The crowd definitely loved it. The way they have this arena lighted, lit, I should say, instead of lighted, lit, uh, the upper deck looks a lot um, empty here, but the, the lower levels look huge. I, I don't know if it's part of the arena, it's not sold out or what it is, but definitely has a weird kind of look to it in the upper decks as you kind of get some of the wider shots. Um, once we get, after Danny Davis gets in, we get uh, Craig the Hammer Valentine, we get the classic Grill Monsoon, then it takes Hammer 15 minutes to get warmed up. Um, his action with the Blue Blazer is just amazing. I just don't understand why this time frame, they didn't go with the Blue Blazer more. Even somewhere, as I'm doing the New Generation uh, New Generation Mission podcast, so one, two, three kid. Like I just don't understand these guys are just so innovative at the time compared to what they're wrestling and why they didn't get like more action, uh, especially in the pay-per-views. You know, this is maybe, I think the second and probably last uh, pay-per-view match for Blue Blazer, you know, kid, struggles to find the way his ways into pay-per-views i just don't kind of get it but blue blazer just the way he does um it just really does a great job so finally we get then um ben is brown and he gets a ghetto blaster on jumping jim uh during this whole match warriors just pacing back and forth um uh, you know, really excited and really kind of pissed off once jumping Jim Brigazel goes in. Uh, Sam Houston makes his, his appearance then next. Uh, it's kind of a back and forth, bad news and the hammer. And then bad news asks Hammer to hold him. And of course, uh, or sorry, bad news to hold Tim Houston and, and Hammer nails bad news. This leads to our classic um, bad news brown trope of leaving his team at, at Survivor Series. I, I love it here. I love it in 89 uh, as a spoiler, but th it's a great move. So we get our first action of Ron Bass after that. He's got the Nikolai Volkov big-ass big tights. Uh, he really dominates Sam Houston and then is able to pin him. Um, pretty poor showing from Sam Houston. Ron Bass is a guy that I never really know as a kid. Uh, he doesn't look great here. He looks like a big power lifter, maybe like a guy that would be great in softball, very Jim the Anvil Nyhart type looking guy. Uh, but never would have been impressed with, but he did look good against Sam Houston. Finally, after the pin, Warrior comes in and just clears house. He absolutely tosses honky. Um, in a crazy move. And then they get a, a tag to Blazer. So Blazer's hot in that move. There's an awesome move where Warrior takes um, Blazer off the top rope and flings him across the ring, ring onto Ron Bass. But somehow Ron Bass kicks out. I thought that would have been a perfect finish for this. Blazer, again, has a great move with Hammer. They do botch a move where they uh, up and under where it looks pretty bad. And again, Blazer goes up the top rope. So you think it's something awesome. But um, Honky, Honky grabs him, throws him off. Blazer falls on his knee. Great, great moment from Gorilla and Jesse there saying that Hammer's going to go for the figure four. Turns the, the shin guard around and gets the figure four to, to eliminate Blazer. Uh, this time Beefcake comes in. It's shocking they talk about Beefcake and Hammer as a tag team team, but they have a dream team, you know, collide, fight off here. Uh, with a pretty good moment, too. One of the, the best beefcakes looked in the match so far. And then finally, we get Warrior in again. He, he's absolutely cut uh, in here in this. He just dominates every couple seconds he's in. He gets back, tags to Brutus briefcase. We got Brutus and Honky with a really good exchange. Crowd is nuts for this. Everyone just hates Honky. Uh, 
Bruce gets the sleeper on him, and then Honky kind of like together throws him out of the ring uh, while, while the sleeper's still on, so he doesn't get the Danny Davis 30-second, uh, first I say three-second sleeper, uh, but he goes him out of the ring and both get counted out. So we're left to Bass and Hammer versus Warrior. Warrior's still green with some of his kickouts, and even his double clothesline was sloppy, but his double hex handles, now his win. He gets a quick pin on Bass. Crowd knows his winning at this point, even even when it's two-on-one. He does a double axe handle, which is weird that it's his finishing move, but again, he gets hammer as well. Within 30 seconds of being two-on-one, Warriors quickly dispose of both of them in one Survivor Series 1988, the first match. As I said, my name is Tim Slomka, uh, a new gen of the mission. Every other Tuesday, I'm new generation era. We just covered the great Art Donovan at King of the Ring, 94, and we're uh, trucking our way through Taker versus Taker at SummerSlam. We do Survivor Series 92, Survivor Series 97, and we look at superstars, weekly bras, and pay-per-views, and some special guests here and there. Uh, so thanks again for joining us. I'll see you a couple weeks on Chronoso Monthly. Thank you. Here comes the key. Here comes JT. We're demolition. Anyway, welcome to North South Connection. Cronoso, JT and Keithy Boy back out here as we usually do. I don't know. Every other, every other one of these things I help you out. The other ones you do on your own, I guess, pretty much at this point that we're doing. Yeah, when I don't want to bore you to death with a 15 minute long uh, Tito Santana versus King Haku match, I, uh, you know. Yeah. And mix it up a little bit. Uh, anyway, uh, so we were tasked uh, with a very special video-based uh, task tonight, Keith. So task yes. of the task from the taskmaster himself, Mr. Little Ryan Gray. Mm-hmm. He uh, came to us, and this is similar to what Aaron George and I did a year ago for Survivor Series 1987. He said, do you want to do a tier ranker of all the teams in the big tag team match at Survivor Series? So we said... Yes. Sure, why not? Uh, so mm-hmm. if you are listening to this, Cronoso, this section is on video. If you want to pop over, because you can see the tier list on screen. We're going to share it now. And uh, Keith, you and I, before we went on, decided that we were going to do this uh, all-time rankings. So we're going to rank these teams, uh, F's careers only, mm-hmm. F career only. And we're going to do that uh, all-time. So not based on, like for Aaron and I, for 87, we like rank them within that time frame. Yeah. But I think for you and I, we're going to do all-time rankings, their whole mm-hmm. r- rankings, how they are. Um, all right, so we have uh, five tiers with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and nine, ten teams. Mm. So, do you want to do two in each, or do you feel like we should do a one go, one greatest? No, I think we should do. Well, no, because I think. Ooh, that's a good question. No, I want to do two each. All right, and we and can rank reasons, two within the top. Line. Well, we'll, have, we'll still have a number one team. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right, so I think we can say the Bolsheviks are the worst of this group. <laughs> Even considering that the conquistadors were usually two job guys, I would still say the Bolsheviks are the worst. <laughs> so who, let's, let's go by this, right? Who's got the more memorable moment? We have the conquistadors are here at this show. It's probably the oh, most yeah. memorable moment. Absolutely. Or the Bolsheviks' most memorable moment is Steve Allen and then getting killed in the uh, by the Hart Foundation of WrestleMania 6. That so doesn't those, happen. Those are the two... That doesn't happen for two more years, though. So I would say, oh yeah, wait, we're yeah, doing but this all is all time. time. We're doing yeah, all time. All time. Uh, no, it's it's definitely. I think the most memorable moments of the Bolsheviks are, aside from WrestleMania six, it has to do with when they're separated. So uh, yeah. no, I think I agree. The Bolsheviks are probably the 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 worst of all time. All right, so we'll go conquistadors over the Bolsheviks. Yeah, because the conquistadors. Plus, the conquistadors also had 
appearances later on in the Attitude Era when Edge and Christian just up as the uh, Conquistadors. And right. so, you know, it's always a chance. You never know what's going to happen with those crazy Conquistadors. Okay. So I think Young Stallions are clearly next here. Yes. You know, they're good. They're a good little team. But uh, I mean, when you look at this, this, te- this match is loaded with stud teams. It is. Um, I think, I think the only problem with the, with, yeah, they're just, they were two job guys that are, were put together, but they're a better. That's really funny that we have four job guys over two name guys, mm-hmm. one of which is a former world tag team champion. No, <laughs> but anyway, it is what it is. I mean, the Bushwicks were just a rough team. Like they were, yeah. you know, not the best workers. Nikolai's pretty no. washed by that point. Boris was never anything special. I could, I could see putting them over the Conquistadors just based yeah. on WrestleMania six, but I'm fine either way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to have a controversial right. one right here. Well, I was saying, I think this is our next toughest part here so i would say and i'm, I'm not wondering me. where you're going all right so powers of pain obviously most would say here i know you're not are you gonna do that nope are you thinking all. of the rougeos no no oh brain no busters way. huh brain nope. busters nope keep well, going if you want the huh? rockers no it's not the rockers the fucking bulldogs i hate the british bulldogs i am sorry Ooh. i know it's a very controversial pick and people might get mad at me. I I would rank all of these teams above the friggin' British Bulldogs, in my opinion. I can't. I can't have the Rougeos or the Powers of Pain above the Bulldogs. I am willing to put the Rougeos down here with the Stallions because they are fun. They get the All-American Boys stuff. But they don't really have any memorable matches or angles. They get the little thing with Jimmy Hart and the Hart Foundation. Um, but nothing else, really. Like what? No, and they seem like they feuded with... The, the bushwhackers, bushwhackers the entire time. So they do have right, a put... Luke rubbing Jock's balls at WrestleMania five. <laughs> I'll put. <laughs> I would put them. I would put them there. Then I will let you put them there. Yeah, I think the Powers of Pain have. They, they'd be the ones I'd compete with. I know you're a big mark of the Powers of Pain, but I would. I would. I would have them as the other potential here. But I think you at least get the Demolition Feud, the Fuji Turn at yeah. this show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they have the great match with a team on this list, the Rockers and MSG in early yeah. 90. Um, but I think I would I would have them and the Bulldogs in the next tier. So They had um, a WrestleMania world title match, world tag title match. You know, the Rougeos yeah. never did. And, you know, there you go. So, all right. Well, all right. So I think our next three in some order are the Bulldogs – the Brain Busters, and the Powers of Pain. Yeah. So we need two in this B tier of those three. I would say, in my opinion, I think it's probably it's probably the Powers of Pain are the next one up. And then probably, I would, pro- mm, I would put the Bulldogs in here. Because I All think right. that, and I'll tell you why, and I think it's because overall, the Brain Busters had banger matches with a lot of these other teams and they looked great against like every match they had against the rockers was awesome when they actually had matches against the rockers their matches against demolition were great um i'm trying to think well let's look at their let's look at their runs quick so yeah the bulldogs ostensibly debut in like mid early 85 right because they're not Mm -hmm. at wrestlemania one so it's right Mm -hmm. after that and Mm -hmm. they're pretty much like pushed right into yeah, they win the tag belts almost immediately a feud with the dream team. Right. So they, let's say they come in mid 85. Cause they're at the wrestling classic. So we'll call it summer of 85. Mm-hmm. Um, and for all intents and purposes, they're done here. Right. So that's about three, about three, a little over three years. They're in there. Uh, part of that dynamite's hurt. 
They have a great match at WrestleMania 2 with the Dream Team, the Nightmare at the, at the Rosemont. Yep. Um, then they have some good stuff with the Hearts. They get the match with the Rougeos at SummerSlam, which is fine. Uh, the Islanders stuff, you know, pretty good. So they have a lot of memorable feuds. So this is, so I would say they have, I think, the more memorable run. But the Brainbusters have um, the matches and the angle, right? So they have this match here is pretty much where they first show up. They have a good run in the Rumble that kind of involves the mega powers of the Rumble. Uh, super memorable match at Mania with Strike Force, right? More for Strike Force than them, but they're awesome in dissecting Tito throughout the match. Yep. They win the tag titles over Demolition on Sunday's main event, which is a big deal mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a big moment. They have the classic with the hearts at SummerSlam, mm-hmm. lose it back to Demolition, mm-hmm. and then you get on at Survivor Series until he gets fired. So they only have a year, but they jam-pack a lot of it. But I think the Bulldogs are the more iconic WF team. God, they are. I, I just I hate them so much. Um, All right, I'll put my personal bias aside because – even though when when uh, Dynamite gets hurt, he's never the same after that. No, and that kind of kills their momentum of doing anything. Uh, but I will agree with you that their their length is outruns the brain three box. and a half years, and they're doing yeah. stuff the whole time for the most mm-hmm. part. Like the Dream Team feud is really good. You get the whole Hot yeah. Foundation feud, the yeah. Islanders stuff. So it's like. Yeah. Those are all pretty memorable. No, no, you're right. I'm just, I know you're right. It's a, it's a personal bias against them. I just, every time I hear like the, the lists of the world's greatest tag teams of people, yeah, yeah. Blow, they blow the bulldogs and I'm like, they're not that good of a team, but okay, whatever. I'd have yeah. to look back. We did our GWE tag list like six years ago now. Yeah. I, I don't think I had them super high. I mean, I had them high ish, but not, not like where some would have had them right to your point, like top five or something. Sure. Um, But that said, I think, if you're talking individual peak years, the Brainbusters may be number one on this list. Like when you say, "Yeah, we could have ranked it that way too," right? Which of these teams had the best single year run? It's probably them and Demolition, probably because Demolition yeah. we'll talk about. But their '89 to '90 is like amazing too. So, right, I, I think I think you could you could have one and one two for me. Yeah, if you're a, saying like B, who had the best you know? one year arc, yeah, of all these teams. But that said, yeah. that's not what we're doing, right? We're doing all time resume for the WWE. Yep. So. But I would have Bulldogs next, right right above the Rainbusters. Yeah. Bulldogs okay. are next. Um, I think after that is you have the Rockers. Well, and... hang on. Let's wow. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Okay. All right. Go ahead. So, like, I, I want to talk Heart Foundation versus Rockers. Yeah. Okay. Obviously. And then we can talk Demolition. All right. Let's talk Heart Foundation versus Rockers. So, mm-hmm. Rockers never have the tag title run. Nope. But to me, I think they're the better team as a team um but let's think best matches right so on the big stage they have the twin towers at five which is i fucking love that match it's a great match they have the SummerSlam six man which they're a big part of that's a great match too they got um wrestlemania six sucks with the orient express but they got SummerSlam with power and glory which is super fun even though it's them just getting their shit kicked in it's kind of like the brain busters match mm-hmm. uh they got the rumble 91 with the orient express wrestlemania 7 is great with haku and barbarian yep. and they have an all-time breakup to end the team um yeah they also have the match on Raw in 2005 <laughs> that's pretty fun uh when the, when marty comes back and during the i'm trying to think do they have do they wrestle? Do they wrestle in a match in uh, at the Rumble in '90 as well? No, they're in the Rumble, and Sean they're gets they both get kind of thrown 
out right okay. away. They don't have much of a showing. Okay. Um, they also have a really good Chinese main event match too, in yeah. uh, in ninety with I think it's with the Hearts, right? When Demolition. Oh no! Yeah, and Demolition well, interferes. With Demolition. Well, they have one with them too. They they have yeah. both. They have two in ninety both. Sorry. Yeah. So they have a great and the Powers of Pain match I mentioned earlier is great. Yeah. Um, at, at MSG. And they're pretty good in the Survivor Series too. Mm-hmm. Like the ones that they're in, they're pretty good. Yeah. Like even even like the Survivor Series ninety where they lose to. The right. Sean looks awesome in that match. Too. Yeah. Yeah. But like they're all good right. in that. They're good at eighty nine. You know. So that's their run. Okay. So yeah. I I think they have a lot of high quality stuff. They do. Yes. The hearts is heels to me are a little shaky in, in the match quality area in big match settings. Now they have some really good house show stuff with the Bulldogs, really good science main event match with the Bulldogs. Mm-hmm. There must be three matches, like okay, but it's really mm-hmm. focused around Danny Davis. Yeah. Uh that's really the first big pay-per-view match. Survivor Series 87, they lose like in the match yeah. as champions. Yep. Um they split in yeah. 88. Split yeah, yeah, right. They split for most of 88. SummerSlam, yeah. they have that okay match of demolition. Yeah. Um, and then Rumble 89, they get that six man with Duggan, which is like, okay. WrestleMania 5, okay, with Rhythm and Blues. Yep. Um, they are saddled with Rhythm and Blues, like almost their entire yeah. title run in 90. So, SummerSlam 89 is a classic with the Brainbusters. That's probably yeah. the best. Yeah. 90 with Demolition. Yep. And that's it. I mean, WrestleMania with the Nasties is fine. Like, yeah, I think the Rockers like if we're looking at legacy and resume. Yeah, of, you're like, not. You're not wrong. Champions are good. You're team, not wrong. I if I if I said you had to pick a match right now, Rockers or Heart Foundation, which match are you watching? Which team are you watching? I. You know what? I've had more joy watching Rockers matches. Uh, because I think, like you've mentioned, their match against the Towers, their match against the Faces of Fear, like they're they have Orient like, Express, yeah, like yeah, that Orient Express at the Rumble is like was like almost could have been match of the year, you know. So listen, what what's their number one match? Would you say that's their number one match? Yeah, that's their number one match. I would. And think. the Hearts' number one match is what the Brainbusters, probably. So they're probably both about four and a half. Well, you know what the funny thing is is that that match that they had where the title change happened that's actually a really good match. Like the, if you, the one where they beat the hearts it's a really oh yeah with a rope hearts. breaks and all that yeah, yeah like it's, a, it's actually a really good match like it's a pretty decent match so um i think that's where i kind of get a little on the confused side because it's like they're both good but all right well let's talk demolition because maybe they're our top two so demolition no yeah demolition uh is, is lacking i think in great matches right i would say that the most what probably the most like known team from the era Ungodly pops at WrestleMania five. Ungodly pop at WrestleMania six. Yep. The Brainbusters matches are really good. The Fuji stuff. They fall apart quick off the cliff. They have a, a very short run, really, all intents and purposes. Again, it's really just three years, and not even like they come in in right after WrestleMania three. Yeah. But they really don't get going until at the end of eighty seven, and they're gone by the end of ninety. Yeah. So they really only have three years. Um, most iconic theme song of everyone here. Made outside of the, quality, the quality of their like their their television matches are it's it, as far as just like a brute team. I think they're they're really they're there. Like they just had that charisma that I think knocks them into the upper echelon. You well, know? there's only one team to me of these three where you can say they were on par with. I'm going to name a couple guys because they were in a match with them in Survivor Series. Hulk Hogan. Oh, Jake yeah. The Snake. Jake. yeah. As and far as like whole... being over yeah. 
absolutely. The Pop from at eighty nine to ninety. Besides Hogan Warrior, they're probably the most over act, right? The Pop at six is the greatest Pop for a yeah. tag team ever. I think. And five isn't far behind when they beat yeah. the Powers of Pain, and four yeah. is heels when yeah. they beat Strike Force. Yeah, where they oh. where they're the heels going up against the white meat baby faces, and the crowd's going nuts for them. Yes. So, so if I we're think... talking pure workers, like mm-hmm. this list changes, right? It's it's going to be rockers, hearts. Yeah, but it, busters, yeah, it, yeah right? that, that's if you're doing yeah. a pure work rate tag team. Oh God, at that like, point, you can put the Busters up there. You know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like Busters, Rockers, <laughs> even hearts, the Rujos, because the Rujos, were, Rujos, yeah, Rujos were great at making comedy matches look legit. So, no, I. But think... if we're ranking all t- just like the whole tag team package, okay, the best WF run, it's Demolition. Yeah, okay. there's no doubt. It's Demolition. Okay. I will. I'll concede again. Because you know, well, I'm not even convinced. It's not a concession. I, I don't know. I'm torn on the heart on the hearts versus the rockers too. Like, no, because you make a good point though about like their class. It's also has to do with like who they feuded with from times at times and like who they were. I mean, like just the house the house show circuit in '88 was like rockers and busters the whole time. I mean, those are they have a great that's matches. Gotta be, that's got to be a friggin' match of the night if you're going to a house show. I bet you almost every time well, they have a good stuff with the Rougeos on the house shows too. Yeah, but I don't, so, I don't want to discount the hearts because there are stretches like the rockers in like '90 are not good. I mean, like you know they're pretty yeah. much forgotten until that you know they do the power and glory thing, which is almost to write Sean off for a bit, and then right. that match you mentioned the, the phantom t- title change. Beyond that, their '90s kind of, and I guess they get the powers of hand match, but, um, but they bounce back hard in '91. Like they're really good in '91. Right. That's what I'm saying is '91. Yeah. Even though it's driving towards the split, it's still a great '91. Like they, they made like matches with the Nasty Boys look good. They made matches mm-hmm. with uh, the Beverly Brothers look good. I mean, like they they pulled out some good match. They had I think a match against LOD. Right. I think that was like one of the first like. Yes, that's on one of the costume tapes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that um I would probably say like quality of matches. I think you probably put the heart the hearts underneath the, the heart foundation underneath right. them. The hearts have the title reigns and the bigger yeah. angles, right? Because they have yeah. they have Danny Davis. Mm-hmm. They got they're involved with Savage and Honky, which I don't want to dis I wanted to mention that. I don't want to discount that, right? They're right. a big part. They got the but I feel like a lot of their best stuff is Brett Solo shit. Like you know, Brett and Savage, and then Brett's a solo in yeah. 88 with bad news. Yeah, um, and then, and the fact yeah. that they kind of, like, once the Mega Powers form and they kind of shift away, they, like, immediately shift to, like, the title shit with, like, Andre and, and right. Ted DiBiase, and then it's the Twin Towers. It's, like, they never really have, like, that big blow-off with, like, the Mega Powers, which is, like... Right, they should have had that, right? Mega Powers is our foundation. Yeah. yeah, that kind of kills them, and then... Their yeah, 90 reign is forgettable. I, I mean, it's they had the fun match with Demolition at SummerSlam, which is good. The two out of three. Yeah. And then but then the whole, that whole fall, they're almost forgotten. Like, like you said, they're saddled with Rhythm and Blues. Yeah. And then and the Nasties out of I'm nowhere. Trying, I'm trying to think who else they're they're stuck with somebody else too, which is just boring as all get out. That oh, the, um yeah, they fight. Who do they fight in early '90? Well, Brett's already like a singles. Does he fight like Undertaker or something in MSG? Or no, maybe that's yeah. Bulldog. Like. I feel like he has like a singles. No, he's got that match against the Undertaker with it. It's the one like the Undertaker loves that match. That's what it is. Like, yeah, he yeah, gets yeah, to yeah. wrestle him like because he wrestled the Undertaker, and it's like he got to actually wrestle him and do stuff that he did when he was, you know, Mark Callis. Uh, well, let me look real quick because I have uh, 
my MSG stuff from PTB. So, all right. So as, let's look at after the title win at, at SummerSlam, and then we'll then we'll make a final decision. Yeah. So after SummerSlam at MSG, um, they're not even in, in September. They're not there. Mm. It's it's Warrior and LOD versus Demolition. So like yeah. as already they're behind LOD. Yeah. They're not on the uh, oh the October they have a two star match with Rhythm and Blues. Mm. Um. Survivor Series, they're in the Taker match with Dusty. They do not do much. Well, Brett's again, it's Brett Solo, right? As a team. Brett's, and Brett's Brett, Brett lasts to the end, but Jim Neidhart gets knocked out fast. Yep. November you know? 90, MSG there. Brett Solo gets Barbarian. December, I don't think they're even at there. It's Rockers, Power, and Glory have a three star match. Hmm. January, um, yeah, they're not there either. They're not in January. I mean, my guess is before they win the title. March, in... they fight Quake and Bravo, and that was okay. Yeah, but that's like a put-together tag team. It's not really. Right. Um, I think it's the Rockers. I, I mean, that yeah, look, yeah. that title reign is nothing. I'll say the I'll say the last thing about this, I'll say is uh, I having gone back and watched 88 and 89. All you every friggin' event center promo is about how Jimmy Hart screwed them out of 20% of their contract and he knows all their secrets. And right. it's just they're never going up against anybody good, so yeah, yeah. I, I think it's crazy to say because I think there are people that had the hearts number one on their GWE list, but again, like I think those top three are real tough. Like, I, I could see the argument anyway, I think we could reframe this easily to say the hearts are the top team, like if we really wanted to. Um, but it's really hard to judge a tag team when you know that like one of the guys is could be on a Mount Rushmore for yeah. singles. But I mean, like, and I, and that's actually both the Rockers and the Hart Foundation because you literally have two of the greatest singles wrestlers of yeah. a generation in that tag team. But Marty so... would be number three though, <laughs> and then Anvil four, right? I mean, if you're ranking the four of them, yeah, I think, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think. Again, you're, we're splitting hairs, but this I, I think coming in, that's I would quality. have assumed that's quality like list right there. I'm not gonna. I would never give in to not having demolition as the number one team. I mean, they're they're probably my favorite team of all time, and yeah. I mean, I have gone on record that I put them above the Road Warriors, even though they're supposedly yeah. a Road Warrior knockoff, which I find highly insulting. Yeah. But, yeah so I, I think I think if you're nitpicking here, you could argue heart that top three, mm -hmm. and then maybe the Bulldogs, Brainbusters. I think I think is. Depends on what you prefer, that one peak year or kind of the more memorable, longer run um, with everything the Bulldogs had going on. So there's our list. Uh, for those that are just listening, our D tier was Conquistadors. Uh, we'll say Bolsheviks at the bottom, then Conquistadors. C tier is the Young Stallions and the Rougeos. The B tier is the Powers of Pain and then the Brain Busters. The A tier is the British Bulldogs and the Har Foundation. And our S tier is the Rockers and demolition so I want to thank you for checking out this section of Cronoso. continue to listen to hear the rest of the show about survivor series 1988 and everything else we have to offer here at north south connection uh youtube we have a lot of video content you can subscribe to us there and any podcast app to hear the audio stuff as well so check all of that out that's keith the mjt we're out and here comes the smasher Hey now, Steve Bennett from the 24-inch podcast, the Sportscasters podcast here on Cronoso. I want to thank uh, Justin and 
Keithy uh, for kicking it over to me after doing a tier maker. It'll be interesting to see how their tier maker and what I'm going to do here uh, compare and contrast. But before we get to that, you know, the interesting thing about doing Cronoso is sometimes your assignment is small, your responsibility is low, and sometimes your assignment is big and your responsibility is high. And I feel like today with the match that we have, our responsibility is very high. The match we have is one of the known favorite matches of our friend Peter Winson. Uh, it's a match that I rated very highly uh, when I did not submit my list on New Year's Eve of my top matches because of a computer error. And then I raged through the list in the garbage. Um, it's the tag match here from Survivor Series uh, 1988. And first, let's go over the teams, who the faces are, who the heels are. Uh, let's get like a little bit of an introduction. So first of all, the face team. Uh, we had the Young Stallions, uh, Jim Powers and Paul Roma. Uh, we had the Rockers. Uh, this is pre-barbershop, obviously. Uh, the British Bulldogs, the Hart Foundation, and the Powers of Pain. Okay, so that's the face team going into the night. Obviously, that's going to shake up a little bit. The heels we had, the Conquistadors, uh, the Fabulous Rougeos, the Bolsheviks, the Brain Busters, and we had the Demolition, uh, who were the champions going into this event. Uh, so this is obviously between WrestleMania 4, where they won the titles, and WrestleMania 5, where they would defend them at WrestleMania for the first time. And then also they would win them at WrestleMania 6. So right now we're right in between uh, 4 and 5. We're in their first title reign. And going into the night, they're still with Mr. Fuji. So the way we're going to break this down is we're going to do a power rankings uh, this is my power rankings. We're going to go backwards from 10 to 1 of how I feel these teams rank all time. Um, and as we go through each one, we'll talk about how they were eliminated on this night, if they were. Uh, and we're also going to cover the angle that they shot during this match as well. Uh, so, like, for example, I'll read the number 10 team. The team I think is the least impactful on the history of the company the lowest power rankings. I'll tell you who they are. I'll tell you how they're eliminated, when they're eliminated, uh, what their impact was on the match, and then we'll keep going down until we have a number one team. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how my power rankings and the tiers you just got from Keith and JT, how they, uh, how they compare. So let's get started with the number 10 team. I have the Conquistadors. Uno and Dos, uh, who were eliminated ninth, yes, ninth, meaning last, by Barbarian at 42-12 to end the match. Now, they did an unbelievable great underdog story bit uh, with the Conquistadors this night, and Jesse and Gorilla had a ball with it. Um, as they lasted longer and longer into the night, the joke of how much money could you have got on these guys what are their odds? What What's the gambling line? The gambling innuendo and jokes between Jesse and Gorilla is off the charts. It's one of the great things about this match. 
this is the highlight for the conquistadors in the company. Uh, this is this is their thing, right? And and I rank them, I think, as low as I do because it's not even the same guys every time, right? They're under the hoods. Uh, Uno is this guy sometimes. Dos is this guy. I don't even know their you know exactly uh, who they were on this night. I'm sure if I thought about it for a second, uh, but I'm doing this in the middle of the night. Um, but the Conquistadors, to me, are the least impactful team. Just overall, they're my 10th seed in the power rankings here, but they had an unbelievable night. You know, this is like the 16th seed in the NCAA tournament. They didn't beat the one seed, but they lost on a buzzer beater. You know, they took them to the absolute edge. Uh, and had a fantastic night. And like I said, one of the great charms of this match is Jesse and Gorilla on commentary uh, going back and forth. At number nine, I have the Bolsheviks, uh, Boris Zhukov and Nikolai Volkov, uh, the Russians. They're eliminated third by Marty Gennetti. They last 18 minutes and nine seconds in this one. Uh, this is something Vince McMahon would often do in the 80s when you had, for some reason, the original version isn't available. You make a less than but comparable version. You know, Jimmy Snuka is not available. While well, we have Siviafi, you know, here, the Iron Sheik is not available. We have Borisukov. So instead of Sheik and Volkov, which worked on many levels, um, you have instead a lesser version of them and it doesn't work and it's not good. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. Like I said, Marty Gennetti pins uh, Zukov here at 18.09. They're gone. They're forgettable in this match and they're forgettable in general. They're my number nine. All right, number eight, the Young Stallions, Jimmy Powers, uh, Paul Roma. They're eliminated second by Boris Zukov at 15-20. And look at, they're not that bad of a team. You know, I don't know what Justin and Keithy did, but that might be a tier for me, right? Like the F tier or the worst tier, I might have Conquistadors and Bolsheviks. And then I might drop up a tier here and I might put the Young Stallions. And, you know, this is a, this is a team, they're always tinkering, uh, f- trying to find something for Roma. And and here it's Roma and Powers. And they look great. You know, they're handsome young guys. And they, you know, I, I think Power and Glory should have worked. Um, this one didn't. I guess you could even say Power and Glory really didn't either. Uh, but I could see the potential. I could see why it could have maybe in a different world worked. Um, but in the end, they just worked a lot of, curtain jerkers you know did a lot of jobs and uh never became anything more than that uh so we have them um at number eight again and they're out early here you know jim powers eliminated by boris zukov of all people at 15 20 and uh it's the end of their night and and just not not you know a great team um all right number seven the Powers of Pain, uh, the Barbarian and the Warlord, the winners of this match. That's right. Barbarian pins Uno 
at 42-12 uh, to win the match. Now, when we get to demolition later, we're going to be busy about where they rank historically. So let's talk about the angle right now. So to me, this is a long misunderstood angle. People don't get it. Uh, why would Mr. Fuji do this? So here's what happens. Um, Fuji gets in an argument with the demolition and starts poking them with their canes after they make a late elimination, which we'll talk about, obviously. And as he's poking them and prodding them, they start to fight back. And from the face side of the ring, come the powers of pain to save Fuji. And we have a, a double switch here. Demolition become the faces. Powers of pain become the heels. You have your tag match for Mania. Fuji shifts from demolition to, to the powers of pain. Now, everybody always says, why would Fuji do this? This is all time stupid and blah, 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 blah. All right, a couple things. First of all, Demolition was too popular at this point to keep as heels. It wasn't working. They were getting cheered in every building. They were just badass. Their song was badass. Their look was badass. The way they wrestled was badass. And it couldn't go on like that. They had to find a way to turn them. And if you're going to turn them, you're probably not going to turn Fuji. So you're going to have to get away from Fuji, right? So that has to happen uh, for this to work, right? And as you turn them, you might as well make them a match for Mania. So at this point, the powers of pain, who, by the way, were, if anyone was, the Road Warriors clones, it was them. It wasn't Demolition. If they were ever trying to rip off the Road Warriors, it was here with Legion of Doom, uh, not with Demolition. So... Demolition needs an opponent. Why not the team that we're trying to make, the Road Warriors? Uh, let's give them this strong, fierce opponent. Uh, and let's attach Fuji to them. And let's make Fuji, the devious one, more devious in the process. Right? And for someone like Fuji, it's all about power and control and poking you with that cane and maintaining your control over these wrestlers that tower over you, these huge dudes in their prime. And Fuji felt his control over Demolition slipping. He felt it slipping, and he felt the crowds turning, and he felt his team turning away from the devious side to the righteous. And Fuji, if nothing else, is devious. He is the devious one. He's not turning. That is him. And as he finds himself distancing from who and what Demolition are, he needs a new team to take them down, take the belts away, regain control, regain power, and he finds that in power, um, excuse me, in the uh, powers of pain. Now, was the execution of this perfect at Survivor Series? No. Could they have shot it a little bit better? Yes. Could they maybe have explained it a little bit better? Sure. But if you break down what happened like we just did, it makes a ton of sense. 
Fuji is devious. Demolition, no longer devious. Okay? Fuji, power and control. He's losing it with Demolition. He needs it and finds another team to do it with. And his devious plan plays out here as he turns on the Demolition. He's saved by his new powers of pain. And right away, they win the Survivor Series. And they're on the fast tracks to a match uh, with Demolition at WrestleMania Five, which, of course, Fuji will wrestle in himself. So to me, it's brilliant. Um, the execution, however, on this night, I'll admit, was not great. Uh, but historically, the powers of pain, look, at there's some amazing teams that we're going to talk about here historically, and they don't, they never reach those heights, right? Once they lose this feud to demolition, it's really over for them, and eventually they're split up, and their peak singles moment is maybe the Warlords match at WrestleMania 7 against the British Bulldogs, which was the favorite match of my friend Calvin. Rest in peace, Cal. Always thinking of you, buddy. All right, let's get back to our power rankings. Number six, the Brain Busters, um, who were eliminated fifth on this night uh, on a double DQ with the Rockers at 27-57. Uh, uh, so they both went out fifth. Uh, look at this might be low to some people for the brain busters, but they're only there for one year. You know, it's only one year. They do incredible work in the year, um, but it's hard to put them over the teams remaining. Maybe you could debate that they should be ahead of my number five and we'll get to that. But I think that it's not debatable that unfortunately they don't they're not they're nowhere near the top four. Now, if they would have had their whole career in the WWF, sure. But it's only one year. We only get one year and then they're back to WCW. Um, but the work they did that year is great. When I would do Place to Be Nations flagship shows with Scott and Justin, uh, and they would have MSG matches, they were always four stars or better. There's one with Rockers, I think was a four and a half. Uh, that I did. Uh, they always did great work. Every match you watch with them is good. Uh, they have a really good SummerSlam match with the Hart Foundation. Um, everything they did in the company for a year was good. There's just not enough of it, you know. And I gave them a slight edge over the next, or I gave the next team a slight edge over them just based on longevity. And that brings us to our number five, the Fabulous Rougeau Brothers. Uh, eliminated first on this night by Bret Hart at 5.22. So a short night for the Rougeaus. Uh, but the Rougeaus did it all in the company, except for all the belts, I guess. Uh, they did it all. They were a great team for a number of years. You know, they had a four or five-year run uh, where they were heels, they were faces. They did the great mic work uh, when they became the American boys, the little flags. Um, they were really an underrated uh, team that could wrestle anyone. And again, always good matches. You know, if you were at a live event in the 80s, at a house show in the 80s, and there was a tag team match on your card, and it was Fabulous Rougeaus versus Bulldogs, Fabulous Rougeaus versus Killer Bees, Fabulous Rougeaus versus Heart Foundation, 
You knew you'd get a really good tag team match. Um, could them and Brain Busters have flipped? Maybe. But for the WWF, I just think they did more and they did it longer. Um, uh, but they never quite reached the heights, I guess, which is why they're five uh, and not further up the list. You know, so um, the Fabulous Rougeos, again, eliminated on this night first. So a short night by them. Uh, Bret Hart gets the pin um, at 522. Should be noted, too, that uh, uh, Jacques Rougeau would go on to be the Mountie win the Intercontinental title. So their impact uh, on the company was uh, was long. All right. Now we got a big four, I think. You know, now it's like the next four. How do I even rank them? How do I separate them? Uh, it's difficult, but we're going to try to do it. And we'll start with number four, the Rockers. Eliminated fifth, the double DQ with the Brain Busters we talked about earlier at 27.57. And the Rockers, again, are like we talked about with the last couple teams. Their matches were always good. They were tag team specialists, as uh, Gorilla would always say. Uh, they were fast. Uh, they were coordinated. Uh, their moves were dynamic and, and different. And just the speed alone was something you didn't see really ever. And they had the most famous, one of the most famous breakups in the history of wrestling at the barbershop. Uh, when Shawn Michaels gave uh, Marty Jannetty the kick and then threw him through the glass window. Uh, really the star of that as well as Bobby Heenan. Uh, great moment, makes that moment even greater than it was, which was very good. Um, they never won the titles, though. Uh, they they did win them, I guess. Uh, they were filmed to win them on Saturday night's main event in a match against the Hart Foundation, but the rope broke during the match, and it was a mess, and Vince decided not to air it. And the, the change never happened uh, beyond that. So I think that's why they don't get ahead of these guys now. It's not all about winning titles. Um, but I think when you're splitting hairs between these great teams and the Rockers are surely one of them. Um, but I think if we were doing tiers again, I think they might be on a tier of their own here. And then I think the next three are a level above them. Uh, and let's see if we can find out why. Uh, number three, I have the British Bulldogs. <coughs> Excuse me. Eliminated seventh. Dynamite Kid is pinned by Smash at 36.02. Uh, and this is essentially the end of their run here. Um, uh, it was uh, three years or so, three years plus, uh, but an unbelievable run. Uh they won the tag team championships at WrestleMania two, um, and they redefined tag team wrestling in some ways. Uh, the matches at them and the Hart Foundation, they would you know say to each other in the back, "Let's let's show them Calgary Calgary wrestling," and they brought that Calgary style uh, to the WWF through their tag matches and some of the best tag matches in the history of wrestling. Uh, were on the road in 85, 86 uh, between, demo, uh, between the Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation. Um, they were strong. They were believable. Um, when they got beat on Superstars, 
uh, when Dynamite was injured and they did the angle where you know, Dynamite couldn't even walk to the ring, so he got carried out on Davy Boy's back, and then uh, Jimmy Hart hit Dynamite with the with the megaphone, and it was two on one. I remember watching this as a seven year old kid and being so invested and so mad at Danny Davis. So mad at him. I remember my cousin from Cleveland uh, was in town, and then eventually they moved to Phoenix, and they're my cousins from Phoenix. But at this time, they're my cousins from Cleveland. And they were in Buffalo when this happened in February of 87. And we were so mad together. Like, we, we were so mad at Danny Davis for the way he treated the Bulldogs. The Bulldogs were were loved by kids who loved this era. You know, when we would go to school, we would talk about wrestling. We would talk about the British Bulldogs like we would talk about Hulk Hogan sometimes. You know, and when Hulk Hogan shot the A-Team, the Body Slam episode, season four of the A-Team, check it out. Uh, Bulldogs are are in that episode as well. Um, I couldn't go higher than three because I think, again, maybe the next two are on a tier by themselves or, or the Bulldogs are at the bottom end of that tier. Uh, but they were a great, great tag team uh, that really was over. And Matilda, the dog, was over. Our elf in the shelf here is named Matilda uh, because my daughter Paula loved Matilda when she started watching 80s wrestling with me. And, uh, you know, Matilda was this really cute bulldog, the British bulldog, and was a part of them and the great kidnapping when it was ki- Matilda was kidnapped by the uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan and uh, the Islanders in their match at WrestleMania 4. I love the Bulldogs as a kid. I wish I could put them higher than three, uh, but I think the other two are the top two. Let's get to them. Uh, number two, I'm going to go Demolition, uh, who were eliminated eighth, count out at 39-33. Um, basically what happened in the match, like I said, was uh, they pin Dynamite, and then after the pin, they go out onto the floor and they shoot the angle there and they're eventually counted out and don't win the match on this night but obviously they're they're they have their destiny now for the next few months is going to be that feud uh with the powers of pain and the really the biggest thing that happens on this night in this match is the champions the demolition it's okay to cheer them now you know they are they have gotten away from the devious one they've turned their backs on the devious side They've come to the righteous, and uh, the tag, the the tag belts are now on the side of the faces. So that's the biggest thing. As for their run, it's undeniably great. Uh, the long run that they start with, uh, the huge pop when they win the titles at WrestleMania six. You know their run that spans from WrestleMania four, five, and six is potentially the best three years. Uh, by any tag team ever. Uh, the unbelievable song, uh, the great outfits, the face paint, uh, the ass-kicking style, they had it all. Um, and it clicked, Axe and Smash. They're friends to this day. They tour the country to this day, signing autographs. Um, you know, uh, really just an unbelievable... Um, tag team um, right up until the moment that you know Axe doesn't brush his hair 
and uh, they 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 leave the company after Survivor Series '90. Uh, but great matches, uh, you know, their match against the Hart Foundation at SummerSlam 1990 is one of my favorite matches of all time. Um, you know, uh, their tag win at WrestleMania Four is maybe the highlight of that show uh, when they beat Strike Force, but just an unbelievable team with an unbelievable run, the right time, everything clicked, the heavy metal song, you know, that it's timeless. They're timeless. They're great. And if you said they were number one on your list, I'd be fine with it. But I went number one, the Heart Foundation. On this night, they're eliminated fourth. Brett's pinned by Tully. At 2703. Uh, But to me, the Hart Foundation is the standard uh, for tag teams in the WWF and maybe beyond. Uh, Their run as tag team partners really spans from 85 and then, you know, up until Brett wins the Intercontinental title uh, at SummerSlam 91 and sort of really solidifies himself as a single. But then the Hart Foundation. Not only is it a tag team, but it morphs into a stable and has one of the great 1997s, right? The Hart Foundation's 1997 is a year for a stable I'd put up against anyone. Uh, They did unbelievable stuff there. Uh, And their legacy beyond the team. Brett becomes one of the great singles wrestlers of all time. Um, They won title two-time. Tag team titles, like I said, their match when they beat the Bulldogs in February of 87 is a legendary heel win uh, where they double team uh, Davey Boy. Their finish is the heart attack is maybe the best, one of the best finishes. You know, they got you in the heart attack. It's over. So pretty. The way Brett would lay that clothesline in, the way he'd hit the ropes. Um, their song, their outfits, the pink and black attack. They really had it all, and they had longevity. You know, they maybe more so than Demolition. Demolition's three-year run is the best three years that any tag team's ever put together. Um, you know, they're 88, 89, and 90. Uh, but the Hart Foundations got the 85 to 97 they're relevant in the company one way or another. You know, Brett is there from 85 to 97, right through to the screw job. Um, he's a world champion. He's an intercontinental champion, two-time tag champion. You know, Jim is in and out, but always seems to be there playing his role, rubbing his beard. Uh, the promos were good, sometimes great. And I've told this story before, but, um, when I was, uh, uh, when I was a very, very young father, uh, my wife and I made the decision when we had our daughter that we were going to split up and that when Paula went to bed at nine o'clock or whatever, she was mine until six o'clock in the morning. So my wife knew she could sleep from, you know, nine to six. And I knew I could sleep from six to whenever I needed to. Uh, and those nights when Paul would wake up and I would feed her, I would I would watch things on my iPad. I watched all of Deadwood, um, but once in a while I'd want to watch wrestling. And I remember one night, very early, I had a very very young daughter, and um, 
I was watching SummerSlam 90 on my iPad, holding her on the couch. I can close my eyes and picture it. And we get to the point where the Hart Foundation do their promo for their match against Demolition. And Brett says, just like the song says, just like the Phil Collins song says, two hearts are beating as one. And I just looked down at my daughter and I thought, yeah, we're two hearts beating as one. And to this day, we sing that song together. It's our song. My daughter and our song is Two Hearts by Phil Collins. And we sing it together. And um, every time it comes on, she lights up. And it's something special we shared together. And, uh, you know, it's little things like that that I think make wrestling really, really special. And it's another little thing, a personal thing, uh, that makes the Heart Foundation number one on my power ring. So let's go through them one more time real quick. This is my power rankings of the 10 teams in the 1988 Survivor Series tag match. Conquistadors at 10, Bolsheviks at 9, Young Stallions at 8, Powers of Pain at 7, Brainbusters at 6, Rougeos at 5, Rockers at 4, British Bulldogs at 3, Demolition at 2, and the Hart Foundation at 1. I'm going to be interested to see what everyone agrees or disagrees with. You can always email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com, uh, or you could tweet me on X at sports underscore casters. Uh, X, of course, is Twitter. Uh, or you could just comment in the video here um, or on the podcast or whatever you want to do. Uh, I think JT and Keithy's uh, tier ranking is a video. So if you want to comment there on how our lists compare and contrast, uh, that might be fun to do. Uh, but I'd love to, to hear from you on uh, how you uh, do the power rankings. But I think that's it for me today. I think we did this one justice. Uh, and now it's time for me to throw it over to my friend uh, on Long Island, J.A.D. He has uh, a couple of backstage interviews he's going to cover. Uh, but thanks to Ryan and Cronoso for having me, as always. Uh, and I am out. All right there, Cronoso faithful. It's Johnny D with uh, your Survivor Series promo report. Sean Mooney is in the back with one of my favorites. Uh, un underrated. Uh, a, a short time in the uh, WWF during this time, but Bad News Brown. Uh, every every time he he was on, he was uh, he was great, especially his promos. In the ring, a uh, little one sided. Uh, 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 questionable there, but but he brought it. But uh, nothing like it. I, I loved his character, just uh, and especially the um, and this was was uh, where his gimmick really shined in the Survivor Series, where he did the classic walkout, said "fuck it, I don't team up with nobody." That that's that's kind of like Johnny D at at a party. I'll hang in for uh, for a few minutes, and and then uh, the minute somebody gets annoying, it's like peace out. Just. Uh, <laughs> Just walk out of there. Anti-social, social issues, diseases, whatever. That's my boy, Bad News Brown. So uh, Sean Mooney gets it over. He says, he says, uh, Bad News is definitely a, an independent soul, and uh, and of course, uh, uh, Bad News goes right in, and he goes, "Let me. I want to educate you, bare belly sharecroppers." Uh, one of my favorite lines, uh, and and then he goes, uh, he he really goes in and gets over why he deserves a title shot at the Macho Man. Undefeated, he won the battle royal. Oil. Uh, he he doesn't need anybody's help. He doesn't have a manager. He does it all himself. And uh, 
And uh, he really gets himself over as a strong contender. Uh, a great promo here. And he's like, Macho Man has a skirt in his corner. I, I, don't, I don't need anybody. And Bad News stands alone. And then after that, uh, J- Jesse endorses him saying, yes, he definitely deserves it. And, of course, Gorilla's got to give... Uh, uh, a different, a differing opinion. He says, "Oh, I don't like, I don't like the way he's going about it, uh, and all that." Uh, but then the girl, even begrudgingly, uh, 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 at the end, says he 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 does deserve uh, the shot. So, uh, so great work uh, by Bad News here. And then uh, we scoot along to uh, to me and Gene, who 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 has to clean up the mess with uh, Mister Fuji and the powers of pain. Uh, the, the the great uh, uh, Fuji, uh, the powers of pain go, going in the matches uh, faces uh, and coming out as heels. And uh, even though at the end uh, the fans weren't really booing him, they were booing Demolition. The fans were confused. They didn't know. Uh, I, I kind of blame this on uh, on uh, Fuji. Just uh, that, that tepid uh, opening the ropes uh, to start all off where, 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 uh, where Axe, uh, you know, slipped through the ropes and then... Uh, and then just a little shove, and then then Fuji with the cane, and then then he gets slammed to the ground, but he winds up recovering and uh, and helping the powers of pain. Uh, just a mess and a and a confusion, but but eventually it did get eventually the demolition did get over his faces, but uh, it wasn't it certainly wasn't because of uh, this uh, this was one of your bitter uh, turns, your double turns. Uh, very confusing. Right, right away, Gene goes. Gene tries to really sell it. Go, Mister Fuji. Did I see you turn on demolition? Well, well, yeah, yeah, you did, uh, uh, Gene. But, uh, but, uh, and we all kind of did too. But we were still uh, left us kind of confused. And then, uh, uh, Fuji tries to tell us that they weren't listening. Uh, they thought they knew more than the master, and uh, that now I have. Uh, these loyal uh, powers of pain cucks that are going to listen to everything I said and and warlord on barbarian uh, definitely not the uh, greatest of stickmen especially the barbarian uh, said something that uh, you need a translator for but a uh, warlord uh, kind kind of uh, finished it off and uh, cleaned it up and, and he says he, he says demolition uh, didn't listen to Mr Fuji but the powers of pain will and uh, and, and he's going to lead us at, uh, to the championship to take us that's still very uh, questionable why Fuji would do this. Uh, the powers of pain had the belts, and uh, and now you're going to take over somebody, <laughs> and you're going to try to get the belts back that you had. Uh, I, I wouldn't call this one of the uh, greatest managerial moves in the WWEF uh, history. Uh, uh, very questionable, <laughs> Mr. Fuji. Uh, definitely not a manager of the year material right there. And uh, but uh, and Gene, uh, God bless him, did, did the best he could to uh, to clean things up here and. Uh, try to clear it up for the audience because uh the, the definitely uh the the crowd was 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 confused they were still they were kind of cheering uh the powers of pain with with a uh, fuji and and even booing a uh, demolition a little but uh eventually uh the promos and uh, and the work would get over and demolition would get over as a great face team and uh and the powers, uh, not so much. We'll see uh, how, how that works out, uh, taking over Fuji. Uh, we'll see if they're successful getting those belts. Uh, all right, a uh, little, little uh, quick in and out, uh, talking about some, uh, spitting it on some promos. Uh, this is Johnny D signing off. Until next month, peace. 
Up next, we get a promo from Andre the Giant's team that he has assembled to battle Jake the Snake Roberts' team and continue their feud. After Jake gave Andre a heart attack with Damien, and it did not kill the territory like Fritz von Erich's heart attack did, Jake continued to taunt Andre for a while, and Andre and Dino are co-captains here. So we cut to Gene in the back with co-captains Andre the Giant, Dino Bravo, Kurt Hennig, The King, Harley Race, and Ravishing Rick Rude. Also in the back is Bobby the Brain Heenan, of course, and in the way back is Frenchie Martin. As the promo starts, Andre is rubbing Harley's shoulders. And as Gene is talking, we see uh, Andre turn and he's talking to Frenchie Martin. So I'm assuming it's kind of cool for Andre to be able to talk uh, in his native language to Frenchie. Probably the only thing that Frenchie does that's worth <laughs> anything. I guess he's got Dino to talk to, too, as well. Bobby talks first and says he has a lot invested in this match. Bobby says to picture Scott Casey, Tito Santana, Hacksaw Duggan, and Ken Patera, and Jake the Snake Roberts. And as he says Jake the Snake's name, Andre right here grabs Gene's shoulder from behind. He's standing behind Gene. And Gene freaks out. And as Andre's grabbing Gene's shoulder, Bobby gesticulates towards Andre's hands, which are massive. He tells those guys that he just mentioned to picture these hands squeezing your neck. Jake the Snake. Imagine these these hands squeezing your neck. And as he says the words, these hands squeezing your neck, the camera angle switches to a close-up of Andre's face. Andre's face fills up the 16 by 9 format perfectly. His eyes are insane. Andre's mouthing the words squeezing and squeezing as Bobby says it. This is fucking an insanely cool production moment here. Especially when you have to think about the fact that this is this camera is directly pointed at Andre. It's on a level plane. So this means that there was a cameraman, a cameraman most likely standing on a ladder holding this camera directly up to Andre's face. Fucking awesome. Beautiful piece of direction here in this backstage segment. Bobby says, he says he hopes Jake had a nice Thanksgiving dinner because it might be his last Thanksgiving dinner. And I always love in Survivor Series promos when Thanksgiving itself is referenced, so super cool by Bobby here. Co-Captain Dino is next, and he says he's coming right after Hacksaw, and what he's going to do to Hacksaw will bring shame to all Americans. Short and sweet. Rude is next. He's wearing a sweet black robe. His hair looks great. He calls, as, he's, as he begins to talk, he calls Gene a divot head, which is such a fucking ludicrous but great insult. He calls out his team and uh, refers to them by their sobriquets and says that we will celebrate Turkey Day. The ravishing way. So, not sure how, not exactly sure how you do that. Maybe he was gonna fuck a turkey like he was wanted to fuck Jake's wife. We'll never know. Up next is Kurt. He's wearing a Survivor Series T-shirt. It's a white ringer shirt with uh, red on the sleeves and the neck, and it's matching Harley's shirt here, which fucking rules. And it makes me think and picture a fucking wild world where there was a super brutal heel tag team of the king and mr perfect together running roughshod through late 80s wwf i mean just imagine it man oh my god just uh love the idea of mr perfect and harley as a tag team perfect says that his team is the greatest set of multi-talented athletes in the WWF, a perfect combination, if you will. We skip Harley here and Frenchie for promos. Who cares about Frenchie? But it'd be nice to hear Harley say something. Gene says, in reference to Andre, that Jake has had Damien on a special diet. I guess starving him. So Damien will be extra hungry, unlike Andre will be after Thanksgiving dinner. I don't know if he's supposed to be insulting. No one's hungry after Thanksgiving dinner, but the implication is that a Damien's going to fucking eat Andre the Giant here to scare him. Now... We get the Andre part of this promo, which of course is the best fucking part of this promo. They've portrayed Andre as being scared of the snake, but this is Andre. As Gene says his smartass bullshit 
Andre immediately cuts him off and yells, I don't care about any of that. He does not care about Damien. He does not care about Jake. Back to the super close-up of Andre's face. I care about my team. And last year, I won at Survivor Series. And this year, I will do it again. End of promo. Back to the arena. All business Andre here. Winning. That's all he needs to do. That's what he wants to do. Jake's fucking with him, but Andre's a winner. He's the fucking king of the WWF. And that's what he's here to do is win. He's the king of Survivor Series. He's going to win again. Super intense, super succinct, and insanely intimidating. A perfect way to surmise the promo by all these guys here by Andre. As we cut to the arena, Gorilla says that Andre the Giant with vengeance in his eyes. And it's Andre's eyes that are the star of this promo and so many of his promos. And so much of what he does in wrestling. You know, he might be a colossal force whose physical body can intimidate anyone. With hands that could crush you. Arms that could pound you into the ground like a railroad spike. Legs that could boot you across an arena, cracking your sternum. But it's his eyes that strike sheer terror into his opponents. Instill the fear of God to a man. This wrathful giant is coming after you. His words are always great. His promos rule because he's so bellicose and overpowering in the way he speaks to people. But it's his eyes. They're beautiful, but also terrifying, like a Baudelaire poem. They don't show any weakness ever. And it's his eyes that might be the most underrated part of the physical presence of Andre the Giant. This was a short, sweet little promo but a perfect encapsulation of why Survivor Series promos are so much fun and why Andre the Giant fucking rules. My name's Rocco Martone. I say check it out. What's going on, Cronoso? This is Mike Rossi. I am here to discuss the main event promo. Not the main event match. The main event promo for the Mega Powers team of Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage being the captains of a team with Hercules, Coco Beware, and Hillbilly Jim. And they were to do battle in the main event later on tonight against the Twin Towers of Akeem and the Big Boss Man, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, King Haku, and the Red Rooster. Yes, the Red Rooster was main eventing this show, ladies and gentlemen. And this promo was um, a big-time 1988 babyface promo. You know, it was Coco Beware with Frankie. And then there was Macho Man. Behind him was Hillbilly Jim. And then Hercules in the back right-hand corner with Hogan on the front right. That's if you're looking at the screen. And poor Miss Elizabeth is, like, trapped in the middle of everything. This promo starts with the Macho Man fielding a Sean Mooney inquiry about scores to be settled tonight. Now, now again, I have to reiterate, poor Elizabeth here is, like, trapped in the middle of all of these monsters. She looks super uncomfortable. Sean Mooney's there. There's a fucking bird there. Like, there's a lot going on. There's six adult males, poor Elizabeth in the middle of it all, and then a fucking bird chirping away at the side. So there's a lot to take in when you're watching. I had to watch it a few times. So then Macho keeps it simple. He says, Survivor Series, people all over the world are watching. And the team, the Mega Powers, we've bonded. Doesn't say much for Macho Man at this point. They then cut over to Coco, who kind of just hops in. And he says, when you're hot, you're hot. And when you're not, you're not. How are we going to lose with the stuff we're going to use tonight? Ain't that right, Hillbilly Jim? So then Hillbilly Jim just starts rambling nonsense. just like a pure country boy. Talking about how all over the country people are celebrating Thanksgiving. And them boys are going to feel the heat from this old kitchen tonight. You know, pretty, pretty stereotypical for the character, but pretty good delivery. Um, and then Hercules comes in. He's all crazy eyes. Very uh, coked out of his skull. He comes in, he says that Hercules has always stood alone 
and he finds out now that he doesn't have to anymore. Welcome to the jungle, million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. With these guys around me, you're going to find out you don't always get what you want. And then he says, but you'll get what you need, man. It's like, holy shit. That was uh, not great delivery. Hillbilly Jim's delivered a little bit better. So now Hogan obviously comes in, closes the door. He's like Mariana Rivera at closing out this promo. He says, just like the 24-inch pythons, just like the power of Hulkamania has ruled for five years, there are in fact no weak links to this chain man. And now he's got a chain around his neck for some reason from Hercules, but hey, I digress. Um, the Mega Powers team has been bonded as one, both with body, mind, soul, physical ability. Then he just starts talking about nonsense. He says, when the mighty Hercules stood in the Pacific Ocean and the rest of us were in the sand, we put our arms in one, and then they all literally put their arms in the, in the air like it's like a basketball team. And then we bonded together. So it made me think of Hillbilly Jim on the beach bonding with Coco Beware and the fucking bird while Elizabeth is just scared shitless out of her mind in the corner. Not saying it couldn't have happened, but I I don't believe that side of it. Anyways, he then goes ahead, he names the opponents, runs through everybody there, and then he says, we got the Macho Man, we got the Aerial Man in Coco Beware, we got the Mountain Man of Hillbilly Jim, and we got that strong man in Hercules, and what are you going to do, brother? Typical Hogan promo here, but, you know, fun situation. Sean Mooney being there um, was a little interesting. He was awkward, but he kept everything flowing. Nice tight promo. Not too long. Doesn't outstay its welcome. Um, you know, really built up for the match. Um, couldn't wait to go see them wrestle a red rooster after this. All right, guys. Have a good night. Later. Hey there, everybody. It's the Down Under Thunder coming to you once again with what should be a very interesting matchup. But I'm not alone. That's right. Normally you hear only one foreign accent, but today you're going to hear two. I'd like to welcome to this part of the episode with me, Luke Jennings from the UK. How you doing, Luke? I'm doing well, Dave. Doing very well. Hello, everybody out there. So it's a it's a jolly Englishman here to join you on the uh, Chronoso this week. We've got the real Commonwealth connection going here, the UK <laughs> and Australia coming to you for this this episode of Chronoso. And oh my goodness, what a match we get to talk about. We've got Team Jake the Snake and Team Hacksaw Jim Duggan against Team Andre and Dino Bravo and Luke. This uh this promises to be a very interesting matchup. Two very uh interesting teams. With Jake the Snake and uh and Hacksaw Jim Duggan are joined by Ken Patera, Tito Santana, and um uh Scott Casey. We'll get on to him in a moment. While Andre yeah. <laughs> and Dino are joined by Ravishing Rick Rude, the one and only Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig, and um, uh, I'm having a Harley race. Oh, I'm just yeah, having a king. mental break there for it. The, the former king. We'll get on him. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. What What are your thoughts on these two teams, uh, Luke? Um, yeah, there's there's several feuds interlinked within the teams. Um, you've got Andre who's feuding with Jake on television, but he's feuding with Duggan on the house shows, and then you've got Duggan who's feuding with Dino on TV as well. There's like three or four. Mm. In- excuse me, interlinked feuds in there. 
Um, and then, yeah, the, like we said, there's Scott Casey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting the 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 whole Jake Andre Rue Duggins Dino Bravo scenario because. Jake's been having having his big feud with with Rude. They've never really had the big blow off, but on television, they've started transitioning the whole Jake the Snake bringing bringing Damien out and giving Andre the heart attack on Saturday night's main yeah. event, which we talked about on the uh, on the more recent uh, Cronoso. So um, it's it's really sort of convoluted the whole the whole situation, but. Uh, yeah, it's a very interesting team lineup. Um, Scott, K- oh look, Scott Casey, what on? How on earth he got around? Now he was he was replacing B. Brian Blair, who bailed out of the company. But I'm not sure that was much of a replacement because Blair no, Blair had split from the bees, and the bees have been split up. And those of you who've been listening to Cronoso know I covered the bees uh, for a couple of episodes there, and they were bad. That was good, but. Blair on his own wasn't much, but Scott Casey is just. Oh, we'll get onto him shortly. He's a waste of time. On the <laughs> on the heel side, very interesting scenario. We already mentioned it. Harley Race makes his return. This is essentially his return to television. He's done a couple of house show matches, but this is the first time he's been seen on television since the hernia injury that took him out after WrestleMania four. So mm-hmm. lost his kingship. Hasn't been on TV just turns up no real fanfare the only time he's been on tv is when he was in the cloud because they uh, sort of they portrayed that he died kind of thing if you watch the television it's mm. like here's harley race in the cloud uh okay but then he's back again so yeah it doesn't really make sense but that was the wwf at the time mm. just sort of that doesn't help when you tape a month's worth of TV and things happen in between and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it, it almost it almost gives a feel that perhaps you know maybe maybe Harley wasn't originally going to be part of that plan for this match. And I, I think you know well we see how they use him. We'll we'll, we'll get on that later. But but let's let's you know just be, just before we launch into sort of our overview of the match, Luke, do you have any any other thoughts leading into this match? Did you have any expectations? Uh, was there anything that really stood out to you before before we jump into it? Not really. Um, I hadn't watched. I haven't watched this event for quite a long time, so I've watched this match uh, two times, and both times it's it still keeps you enthralled. Um, the promos beforehand, it was Andre was. Uh, you could understand what Andre was saying, which was a, <laughs> a, a remarkable change in this era. Um, but yes, yeah, both teams. You know, apart from maybe Scott Casey, both teams are, are fairly decent. You know they're put they're putting over Mr. Perfect, or he's I think he's still Kurt Henning at the minute, but he's still just just making that he's he's, he's yeah. being announced as Mr. Perfect, but Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. They haven't dropped yeah. the, the that that moniker yet. So yeah, and we've got the they've got the managers as well. We've got Bobby Heenan and Frenchie Martin at ringside as well, so they should add a little bit more spice to the match as well. So I don't know how much spice Frenchie adds to anything, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see we'll see his impact later on. Well, well, let's get into this. Uh, the two teams come to the ring. It, it's all pretty straightforward. Um, I find it interesting that that Harley and Kurt Hennig both came out in Survivor Series t-shirts. So, yeah. obviously, raiding the memorabilia stand before they went out. It's uh, <laughs> not quite not quite an Austin three sixteen shirt, but certainly, uh, certainly, I'm sure they took it home and put it in the box and uh, kept it yeah. as a memento. Maybe they framed it, put it up on the wall. You know, who yeah, knows? Definitely. But, uh, but um, we we kick it off. 
off. Rude kicks it off with Ken Patera, and Patera overpowers Rude pretty quick. Uh, Rude actually does the old claim for the hair pull, but, uh, you know, ref has nothing to do with it. So Rude tags in uh, Dino Bravo, as you'd expect. And, well, Jesse and Gorilla do what they do every time Dino Bravo steps into the ring. They start talking about the bench press record and, uh, and Jesse helping him. So yeah. you just Gorilla just can't let it go. Can't let They've it go. They've got to. So, um, but look, you know, uh, Dino sort of gets a bit of control, tags in Kurt Hennig. He comes off the top rope, but Patera just picks Kurt Hennig up and drives him into his own corner, and it's uh, it's it's open open uh, slather on uh, on Kurt. Jake comes into the ring. He works the arm. Tito tags in. They pick up the pace and trade some shots with each other. Tito gets a blind tag to Jake the Snake, and uh, he takes a couple of shots. So it's, it's, it's a lot of quick tags. And then Scott Casey comes into the ring. And my goodness, Scott Casey looks absolutely lost. He looked terrible. Uh, who know, He didn't know what he was doing in there. Um, yeah, Kurt manages to, to get to his corner. He tags in Harley Race, and, and Harley uh, beats on Scott Casey. Casey's bumping and selling at this point. It is not good. He, he, he doesn't seem to know where he's going to land or how he's going to fall or what he should be doing. Um, Casey, Casey gives a headbutt to Kurt Hennig. It's a brutal-looking headbutt. It really doesn't look good. And uh, finally gets a tag out. In comes Tito Santana. And now the good guys start the quick tags again, in and out, beating on Kurt. Kurt really doing a lot of good early selling. And it's, it, it's, it's very clear why you've got Kurt Hennig and Rick Rude in this match for, from that heel side, because they work a lot of the in-ring side of this match. And, uh, and, and Kurt just looks fantastic as always. Um, Rude finally gets control um, on Scott Casey. And Scott Casey, as bad as his selling was before, it gets worse. Um, you know, Rude, rude, um, rude tags in. Rude charges the corner, and Scott moves and tags in Tito. And Tito hits this really nice-looking flying elbow for a uh, for a near fall. Uh, more tags in and out. Uh, we finally get Hacksaw in the ring. Hacksaw misses a big elbow on uh, on Rick Rude, and then they do the old clash of the heads. And Jesse comments that uh, that well, Rude would have come off worse with that because uh, he, he you know. There's nothing much in Hacksaw's t- head. Uh, Kemper Terra t- t- tags in. He does a couple of a- interesting amateur moves on uh, Kurt Hennig. Patera goes for a whip, but he runs into uh, an, a, a knee from Rick Rude, and then Rude just drops him with the Rude Awakening, and we have our first elimination. Ken Patera in his last match with the company, Gonski. Unbelievably, I um, had a quick look, and Ken Patera is four years older than Andre the Giant in this. Well, not not just in this match, but you know, mm. there's there's a four. You'd have thought it would be the other way around. Um, when Patera came in, the crowd immediately died because Hogan, sorry, Duggan was in there. The crowd were absolutely all over Duggan. They loved everything he was doing. Mm. There, when Patera came in to lose the fall, the crowd just went. There's a, you could hear it. There was a, just an instant just. Oh God, Patera's in here. But apart from that, that was the first sort of ten minutes we've had here. Very fast paced. Um, Jesse did a very good job when Scott Casey came in. Jesse did a very good job of putting him over, and then Scott Casey 
just then was left alone basically <laughs> he came yeah. in he did all right but then everyone was they didn't they weren't taking advantage of him but you could see that he wasn't ready to be there um rude was doing things with him perfect you know everyone was sort of yeah. taking advantage of him to a to an extent um whenever duggan was in andre was swiping at him from the outside um but yeah apart from that this the first fall is was pretty pretty good yeah, pretty good start. And as you said, Casey just looked out of his out of his depth there. He really yeah. just he just didn't know what and, and sadly he's caught in the ring. Casey comes in and he gets caught in the wrong corner. The king, the former king, tags in and my, he lands this great looking drop kick for an yeah, old man. Really good, looked, yeah. <laughs> for an old man, he looked great. Um, Bravo's in and uh he he hits some uh, with his horrible offense, I, I've never liked Bravo's offense, and and interestingly, I, I've got to give him credit. They they do sell a bit for for Scott Casey because Casey locks um, Bravo into a backslide for a two count and a very near two count. So, uh, very very surprising move there. Casey tries the old uh, bounce, yeah, sort of roll up off the ropes, but Bravo grabs the ropes, bounces Casey off. Casey comes running in and. Bravo drops him with the side suplex, and thankfully Scott Casey has been eliminated. Yeah, again another quick fall. Um, it did what it needed to do. I would you you've lost your, your, the 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 first two people you'd think you'd lose you've lost Patera mm. and Casey. You, you you're not going to expect to see Patera at the end. Um, so it's done what it's it needed to do. Bravo looks good in theory. He looks good, but when you actually see him in the ring, uh. uh yeah, <laughs> he always looks awkward. He's so bulky. He, he's got too much mass for his body. He always just looks awkward. Apart from a couple of big power moves, his close lines, his punches. It looks like he's trying to get his body to move because he's just got so much bulk. It doesn't come natural anymore. It's a it's a yeah, real yeah. shame. All right. Well, let, let's move it on. We've like you said, we've got we've got the first two uh, losers out of the out of the out of the way. Let's see what's <laughs> let's see what's left. Tito, Tito jumps into the ring and uh, he forces Bravo to tag out. So in comes Kurt. Once again, Kurt Hennig taking a lot of in-ring work and he and Tito work a nice little series of a couple of minutes of just back and forth action. Hacksaw tags back in, big crowd reaction. Uh, Kurt gets a kick to the face and Andre reaches uh, for Duggan. He, as he said, he'd been reaching and reaching. He finally grabbed Duggan. And just pulled him in and hits him with this massive headbutt. Really turns the tide there. Uh, Rude starts starts beating in on Duggan, and and we get a big clothesline in retaliation from Duggan on Rick Rude. Rude manages to tag out. He tags in out to Harley. Duggan hits a hot tag to Tito, and um and Tito's all on fire. He's, he's sort of really doing a job on Harley until he gets too close to the corner and, uh, and Andre just, just grabs him and, uh, and gets a shot. Uh, Bravo then comes in and Tito hits a nice cross body for two. Uh, but Bravo gets back on top. He's attacking. Uh, Tito then does another roll up for, for a near two count. So Tito getting a lot of good offense in, uh, but a big clothesline from Bravo gets the ascendancy back. They tag in the, the king, the former king. He drops Tito for a pile driver and a, and a two count. He hits a clothesline, a very awkward looking clothesline for two. And then he sends Tito into the ropes. Tito ducks the clothesline, hits the flying forearm. 
And just like that, Harley races eliminated. Gone. Yeah, um, he came in. He did the pile driver was a nice looking pile driver. Um, when when Harley was in, his stuff looked good. He came in with the early with the drop kick, very good for Harley's age. Um, the suplexes he was hitting were like classic NWA Harley. Um, and unfortunately, this is going to be one of his last match. I think he's at the Rumble '89. Yeah, he's at the Rumble. He's at the Rumble against Taku. But, but yeah. Um, we're sort of we're coming we're counting down the days of Harley Race, which is a shame. I've oh I always whenever I've seen his older stuff, I've always enjoyed it. You know, hell of a promo. His in ring stuff is very good. When he when he's a heel and he's bumping, his bumping is just like he puts anyone over. Mm. Uh, very similar bumping to Kurt, Rick Rude, Adrian Adonis. They're some of the greatest mm. bumpers. You know, they make any what they make like the shittest of shit look good when mm. they're bumping. But uh, yes, again, another quick fall. And um, still really no Andre. <laughs> the, the interesting thing I, I found about Harley is even when he was in, the, the Gorilla and Jesse did not really talk him up, did not talk up his accomplishments. They weren't really doing any hype to Harley. He just seemed like he was there to be a part of the team. And they, they really didn't seem to have any focus on him, even though he hit those couple of nice moves. It really just seemed to be he was an afterthought. And it's yeah. a real shame, a guy who had that storied career and 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 done what he'd done in, in the entire business and, and in his role as the king. Now he's just nothing more than a jobber to the stars, really, just someone yeah. to, to 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 get out. And, and I mean, it's even more telling is he lost to Tito. He didn't lose to Jake or Hacksaw. He got beat by Tito. And yeah. at this yeah. point, you know, Tito don't beat many people. So, <laughs> well, talking about Tito and you mentioned Andre. Well, Andre's decided it's time to get in the ring and he's in and he just chokes the living life out of yeah. Tito. He's just bouncing him off the ropes like a ragdoll. It is just domination galore. Tito finally gets sent to the ropes, tries for a sunset flip, and Andre just goes, no, nah, having nothing yep. to do with it, <laughs> sits down on him, squashes him, and that's it. Tito's gone. So Tito Santana eliminates race, and then he's just made to look like absolute cannon fodder for the giant. Yeah, definitely. Andre's not moving too badly here, considering he's in his... Uh... You know, in the uh, the twilight of his career, he's he's slow, but he's sort of steady, which is nice to see. Um, obviously, he's been well rested, and then yeah, that sort of the way his legs sort of went under, it looked a bit kind of awkward, like he may have injured himself. But I wouldn't have wanted to have been Tito Santana. No, <laughs> not at all, not at all. Well, Duggan Duggan races into the ring, clotheslines Andre, and we get the classic Andre tied into the rope spots. And uh, this is actually a good moment because Duggan takes a couple of shots, but then we get tagged in for Jake, and Jake's in there, and he's choking Andre, and he's playing shots on, and it's so the crowd are in absolute uproar, you know, glorious uproar, enjoying the the giant getting beaten down and choked, and it's really fun. You see, sort of. You see Kurt and Dino Bravo trying to open the ropes for, for Andre to free the arm and the ref's in there. And finally, Andre gets that arm free and he lays one shot on Jake, sends him backwards sprawling, tags out to Rude and Rude comes in and now the beatdown starts. Rude and Kurt start beating on Jake, taking it in turns. Um, well, There's a real fun little moment. Jake, uh, Kurt, 
puts gets Jake under the bottom rope and chokes Jake on the bottom rope and under the bottom rope. And while he's doing that, Andre starts kicking Jake. And then Kurt does a slingshot into the bottom rope. And then Andre stands on that bottom rope and is choking Jake even more. It's just this really good, really good uh, storytelling there. Um, Kurt starts slapping Jake around. Uh, Jake fights back. And again, the, the, the heels just start tagging out. They're working Jake over. But um, Jake manages to drop Bravo with a short clothesline and signals for the DDT. And Jesse and Gorilla saying he should tag out, but no, not our Jake the Snake. He's got the short clothesline. We know it means the DDT's got to come, but he's too close to the ropes. And Rick Rude just runs down the apron and hits him with a beautiful clothesline. Rude tags in. He's measuring Jake and beating on him. They get a couple of near falls, and the only reason that Jake survives is he gets his foot on the rope. Bravo's in the ring. He drops, goes for a couple of elbows, but Jake rolls out of the way and gets the tag to Duggan, and Duggan's in on fire. Punches in the corner, big clothesline. He signals for the three-point stance, goes to the corner, and Frenchie Martin grabs the leg. And typical Duggan, he gets distracted, turns around. Bravo knees him in the back and sends him to the floor. Very nice little spot there. Rolls out to the floor, slams him on the mat, rolls back in. Well, Bravo's had enough. He's not happy. Up he gets, picks up the two-by-four, jumps into the ring, and wallops Dino Bravo with the two-by-four, earning the DQ. You can clearly see Duggan... Duggan, when he's told he's been disqualified, goes, that's bullshit. You can just see him mouth it out loud. <laughs> and in the corner, Jake, look, Jake's just got the arms like, like, what the hell have you done? He knows he's been left alone. Bravo's an idiot. He's gone. Jake's, it's four on one. And my goodness, the odds don't look good. No, not at all. Jake, um, he took a lot of punishment between perfect and rude. Um when uh, Rude came in, he was whipping him hard in the corner using his power that he's got uh, for him. And then, um, yeah, perfect using that slingshot under the bottom rope was fairly, I don't think he'd ever seen that kind of thing in WWF at the time. Um, but yeah, Jake did, he, Jake does, he takes beatings very well. And then when he comes back from the crowd are really up for him. They want to see the DDT. Unfortunately, they don't. Um, as always, Jesse calls Duggan Dugan. Um, he he called Tito Chico as always as well. So Jesse uh, doing what he does best with mispronouncing the hit, the faces names, but uh, yeah, that was, you know, a, again, a very fast paced fall. And unfortunately for Jake, he's now uh, going up against four people. Now, what I like about this last segment of the match, as we move into it is Jake plays some, does some really good ring psychology. He's on his own and he consistently tries to stay in the opposite corner to the heel team. He knows he can't get in that corner. And you see him consistently reaching for a rope just to check how far away from him is and trying to draw the opposition guys in. He gets, uh, we get we get him sort of up against um, Bravo comes into the ring and, and Jake's calling him in. Uh, Kurt tags in. We get the same sort of thing. Kurt actually get this little cool little scene. Kurt jumps over to the corner and, and he and Rude and Bobby Heenan have a little conference and, uh, a little bit of foretelling of the future, the, the future managerial skills that, uh, that Mr. Perfect will eventually rely on. Just, just foretold there in a nice little way. Um, Bravo sort of comes back into the ring. We get a bit of a test of strength. I don't know why Jake would do a test of strength with the world's strongest man. But 
instead of, you know, Bravo's sort of on top and Jake uses his body height to change the angle and and he kicks um, kicks Bravo in the stomach and goes for a DDT, but Bravo backdrops him. And we all, there's that counter that we see, the backdrop to the DDT. Rick Rude gets tagged in and Jake just rolls out of the ring for a moment, gets his distance again, slows the match down, trying to stay in his corner. Rude gets control. I mean, we said Jake has just been beaten up and beaten up. And so there's not much left. Rude, Rude starts controlling the match slow, methodically. He hits a stomach breaker. He rakes the eyes. He starts slapping Jake. He, he rakes his face. Whips him to the corner and uh, real hard, solid whip. And uh, we get a big body slam and a bear hug. So Rude is just beating on him. And Jesse starts pointing out maybe Rude should tag out, use the advantage they've got. Um, Jake punches his way out of the bear hug, but just collapses on the ground. And uh, Rude goes to the top rope and comes down. Very rarely does he do that, but he hits the punch off the top. And he starts mocking Jake. He stands over him, swivels the hips and and starts gloating and reaches out for a tag. And Jake pulls the tights down and Rude does his classic, what's happening? My tights have been pulled down. Turns around, Jake drops him with the DDT. One, two, three, it is done. Jake Roberts gets the big win over Rick Rude on pay-per-view that we've all been waiting to see with the DDT. Rude is eliminated, and it's now three on one. So Rude just brings the odds a little bit more in his favour. Yeah, the uh, the pop when Jake hit that DDT was they they wanted to see that move all night, and like you said, especially with Rude taking it, it ends the feud. Um, their matches had notoriously been not the greatest to, uh, on pay per views. The WrestleMania four match, mm. um, I think they did the Wrestle Fest or something as well in '88. Um, their matches were not, sort of notoriously long. Uh, sleeper holds, but it's just slow holds when you want to see them two just beat the crap out of each other, really. Um, yeah, Jake did very well. He he took, again, he took another beat in. Rude in his cockiness, as, as, as always, swiveling the hips and doing things for the ladies in the crowd. Um, did, again, very well. And it was, yeah, sort of nice end to, to that feud. Mm. And, and, and it creates that transition moment because Rude has been eliminated. Jake has eliminated Rude from his life and he enters the next phase of his life because Andre just steps in and he just chokes the life out of Jake. He's just squeezing and choking. And initially he's breaking on the four count. The rest, one, two, three, four. He breaks it, chokes again, but then he just decides he's not breaking anymore. He's going, and a great little added extra. If you actually can hear Bobby Heenan on the floor yelling out, squeeze it, squeeze it, like just encouraging Andre to keep going. The ref finally DQs Andre. He's he's out of, out of the ring. <laughs> he finishes choking Jake, just tosses him to the floor. Mr. Perfect jumps into the ring hooks the leg and perfectly pins Jake the snake to finish the match. And, uh, and a victory goes to Mr. Perfect and Dino Bravo with the assist to Andre the Giant, who's still at ringside, and they start celebrating. Big finish there, but my goodness, Andre looked brutal. Yeah, he, he came in still while the count was being made for the deed for Jake's eliminating Rude. He, he was just mm. in, and then he looked like even at 37 years old knowing how the business works like it looked like Andre was 
just choking him for real. And mm. we we've heard stories of how Andre didn't like certain people and how he did things snug and but some of that looked a little bit snug. Mm. Jake did sort of he looked like he was properly being choked at times. And then like you say, when Andre gets disqualified, um perfect just comes in, just goes one, two, three, it's all over. And the way Dino Bravo celebrated, you'd have thought he'd have won like the lottery or something. He was just like jumping for joy and he's, you know, it was amazing. Mm. But uh, yeah, it was a, a a quick fall, which which did well. It, it Like you said, it propelled the Andre-Jake feud um, going into the future because they're going to be doing this feud now for the next four or five months going up yeah. to Mania. So yes, yeah, it's, it's it, it, you know, really good. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, look, over, yeah, overall, I, I, I quite look, I quite enjoyed the match. I think early on, um, you know, when we had the 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 excess baggage of Kempterra and and Scott Casey and dare I say the great Harley Race, the the guys that really had nothing to add to the match, and even Tito, yeah, early on, you know, it's sort of you just had to get through the stuff. A lot of quick tags in and out, but they were just it was just that cannon fodder. Let's just get rid of those guys. But once they were out of the ring, and it was really down to Jake and 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 hacksaw and and the the four main players for the for the heels it became a really good story of just jake taking a beating and um trying to get out and and a lot of work done by rude and kurt henny they really held the match together in ring for for their team and uh it was um it was it was a real good performance by them hacksaw just looked stupid with his elimination uh, Jake, just sensational storytelling. I, I just really feel he and Rude and Kurt were the stars of this match, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. And the crowd were into it as well, considering this was their third match, I think, mm. of the night. Um, the last one being the tag match, which was nearly 45 minutes long. The crowd were still into it. They were, you know, every time uh, Duggan or Jake were in the ring, they were getting up and they were popping. Um, they hadn't died off and they've still got another match to go. Um, but yeah, overall, it was a really nice match. Had had story to it, had pace. Um, didn't There was no sort of slow moments, even though when Rude put the uh, bear hug on Jake, Gorilla went, a bear hug? <laughs> Gorilla didn't understand what was going on. But the yeah, only time, really the nice match, match slowed down. The match slowed down a couple of times, but it was it was in the story of we're just beating on Jake and taking advantage yeah. of him and there being was, methodical. There was no five-minute sleeper holds. There was no. no rest holds. It was just rude, sort of posing to the crowd. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was. It was. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen it for quite a number of years, and, and, and uh, I was really enjoyed it. Yeah, and Andre just he looks so menacing. I mean, we, this is Andre. We, we, we're sort of moving Andre out of the main event scene now, and we're stepping down to the upper mid card. So we had to we had to do something significant with him, and and I think this was a real good part of that. He just. He looked vicious. He looked like a man who was angry and and really out to just destroy Jake. And it, it's a great launching pad for this next stage of the feud. And it sets up a lot of good storylines coming out. But the other side of the coin is, as I said, Rick Rude looked great. Kurt Hennig looked great. It's setting them up, them up for yeah. their future stories as well. And yeah, um, you know, we, we got a thing now. Little, little, a little add-on at the end of the match, um, as Andre and Bravo and Mister Perfect are celebrating on the on the in the ring and on the outside. Jake rolls out of the ring, pulls out the bag, gets Damien out, and he got, does the chase down. And Andre just the terror look on his face and chasing his, getting his team out the back. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. And uh, 
you know, just a nice little finish to that to remind everyone that, hey, this brutal monster that's just decimated Jake has still got a lot of fear for the for what's in the bag. And Jake holds that over him as the, as the match finishes. And so even though he's lost the match, Jake is the one standing in the ring holding up Damien as they as they move to the to the next segment. A nice little finish there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It uh, it reminds you of what happened however long ago it was on Saturday night's main event. Mm. Um and then there's always that hint in the background of the snake coming out of the bag. Andre knows he can handle Jake but he also knows he can't handle the snake. <laughs> that's it. Well, that's that's this match. I, I look if you if you haven't watched it, it it's it's it, like we said, it's an enjoyable match. Go and check it out. Uh, I mean, watch the whole card; it's always good. But go and check it out. But before we uh, before we finish our segment, Luke, go on, give give everyone a plug. This is your first time on Chrono, so where can everyone find you, Luke? You can find me um, on the Place to Be Wrestling Network, the other, the sister network on the other side. Um, I host the UK's number one and only Memphis Wrestling Roulette podcast, the Memphis Continental Wrestling Cast. I cover the weekly TV of the old Memphis Wrestling Territory, currently in September of 1983. I also have the Monday Night Project, which is the weekly look at the Monday Night Raw from back in the day, covering... April 1994. Again, you can find that on the Place to Be Wrestling Network or on all good podcast suppliers. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at MemphisCast. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Luke. It's been a great pleasure. Everyone, as always, you can find me on the uh, Through the Looking Glass uh, monthly podcast on the Place to Be Network as well, me and Scott. And uh, just recently dropped, we've done our tribute as has become a bit of our, our our norm we've done our tribute to uh the the, the recent passing of, of bray white and terry funk and so we've done a little bit of a look back on what, what things might have been different in their careers had some decisions been made differently or or had some some storylines heading in a different manner but look that's it from uh from from us on behalf of luke i'm dave hall down under thunder we're on our way to the main event of SummerSlam 88. So stay tuned, everyone. It's going to be great. North-South Connection, what's going on? Mike Eller here. And I know that you're gearing up to hear about the main event for Survivor Series 1988. But before we do that, we're going to take a little bit of a segue because we still have to hear from the heels the team Twin Towers, who are going to be interviewed by Mean Gene Okerlund uh, before they go head out for the main event. The team here that we have for uh, the Twin Towers team are, of course, the Twin Towers, Akeem, and the Big Boss Man. But we also have the Red Rooster, King Haku, and Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. Uh, Ted DiBiase, in this interview, he's got Virgil in the background, Slick is there accompanying Akeem and Bossman. And then we have Bobby Heenan with King Haku and the Red Rooster. So I think first, uh, just some input. I think this is a little bit of a weaker team than Survivor Series 1987, uh, the main event heels that Hulk Hogan's team would be going against. You know, just for one, I think the main thing is is there's no Andre the Giant here. Whereas, you know, obviously, eight, ten months ago, before Survivor Series 87, he was in the main event uh, facing Hulk Hogan. And, you know, Ted DiBiase was as well. So that would be like the main thing. 
otherwise, I don't think it's that big of a difference. Like outside of like the very very weak link, which is Rick or I'm sorry, the Red Rooster, uh, just doesn't fit in. He's nowhere near main eventer. Where the weak link of 87, I don't know. Like it's Andre, and then you have Bundy, who's nearing the end. Butch Reed, who nearing the end with gone within six, seven months. One man gang who's here or as Akeem and uh, Rick Rude. So uh, overall, I think a little bit of a deeper team, but uh, just to break down, I think it's interesting too, that the team is not like the million dollar team named after Ted DiBiase. It's the twin towers uh, with boss man and Akeem. And obviously they're a big push team, but it's really the boss man who's just come in within the last, you know, in 88, and we'll get to in a little bit, but the fact that they're like the team name, I think puts a lot of emphasis of where the promotion wants to go with these guys and where we might see them or we, where we might not see them um, within the next year or so as we continue to chronicle this on the North-South Connection here uh, with Cronoso. So just the promo, honestly, it's pretty, it's nothing special. We have Slick starting off. Um, Slick has come up with a, and the whole team has come up with a system of elimination that will not be denied. So are they going to like, do they know who they're going to eliminate first? What if they don't eliminate the right guy first? Is that going to just completely ruin their plan and they have no chance of winning? So that'll be interesting. Uh, Ted DiBiase, you know, he's rich, obviously, and he says, Thanksgiving, who cares? All he cares, all he gives thanks about is his bank account. Uh, He... Notes that Hercules, to paraphrase Hercules, Hercules, easier enough to say, is going down and then the team is going to celebrate. Bobby Heenan interjects and I'm like, okay, uh, this has been a lot of quick one-liners. Maybe Bobby Heenan is going to say a lot. He doesn't. He just basically says he's going to show respect to King Haku. Moving on, Mean Gene asks if the Red Rooster can actually talk. And the Red Rooster notes that he can indeed talk, but then he just says some like generic line about his team winning and it doesn't really even work. It's not even worth paraphrasing because it'll just open boring and didn't matter. Finally, we get to big boss, man. Again, he's kind of like the main guy here uh, being in, uh, it, both in the tag team of the twin towers and the fact that he's just the big boss, man. He's a survivor. He says the team is a survivor. And one thing is for sure. He's going to hurt Hulk Hogan, which ends the interview they're all riled up. The Twin Towers, the heels, they're running off. They're about to make their entrance. And with that, away we go. I'm Mike Eller. You can hear me on Cronoso, where you hear uh, me monthly or semi-monthly. And we also, uh, you also can find me popping up on various podcasts where the awesome hosts here uh, will invite me to be a guest, which I'm always very happy about. So I bid you adieu. Enjoy the rest of the show. We've got a great main event coming. Bye. Hey, folks. Kelly Nelson here to talk to you about the main event of Survivor Series 1988, a.k.a. Chapter 3 in my examination of Coco Beware's WWF trunks from 1988. So on one side, we have... The Big Boss Man and Akeem, the African Dream, co-captains. And they are with the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, King Haku, and the Red Rooster. 
and they are going up against the Mega Powers, co-captains Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, and they are with the mighty Hercules, the aforementioned Coco Beware, and Hill Billy Jim. So I'll be uh, discussing the uh, the Babyface team especially and 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 the the makeup of it it's, it's very unusual anyway so the bad guys come out to jive soul bro unfortunately only akeem gets into it as he always does dancing down to the ring uh none of his teammates uh, decide to dance along with him um unlike harley race would do in italy i think that's coming up in a month or so where he uh, gets into the spirit of things and, and dances along to Jive Soul Bro uh, when he was teaming with Akeem. So here we go. Good guy's time. Macho and three of the teammates come out to Pomp and Circumstance, of course, and Macho is the WWF world champion at this time. But when you're teamed with Mr. Hulk Hogan, you're not going to have Hulk Hogan come out to anyone's music but his own. So Hogan, of all the wrestlers uh, this evening, I believe, gets his own personal entrance to I Am A Real American. So that got me uh, wondering, though, if the whole co-captains deal was, was like done just because they didn't want Hogan to be the captain and Savage to be just a regular guy on the team or vice versa. And so they came up with co-captains so you could have Hogan and Savage on equal on an equal level. And then to make it consistent, you had to uh, apply it to all the other teams throughout the evening. I, I'm wondering if that's uh, why that happened, because there wasn't co-captains in 1987 and there wouldn't be co-captains, um, I don't believe, going forward for future Survivor Series. It was just for the 1988 version. Anyway, something to ponder. So we start with, well, first let's... Uh, go into the the, the babyface team and the interesting inclusions of two members in particular. So you have, of course, the Mega Powers. Then you have the Mighty Hercules. That made sense. He had just turned babyface and he was feuding with Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase who's on the other side. But then you have Coco Beware and Hillbilly Jim, two wrestlers who in 1988, especially Hillbilly Jim, were kind of doing nothing. Hillbilly Jim, it seemed like he hadn't done anything in, in ages, and I remember when I first saw this team and the listing, I was really confused as to why Hillbilly Jim and Coco Beware were on this team with, you know, Hogan and Savage, two like, supreme main eventers. Coco, of course, you know, he'd been around for a few years. But by this point in, in late 1988, he was, he was an afterthought. And it just, it, it seemed odd. But I mean, I guess they had to fill out the, the team with... Uh, somebody so they picked these two guys and they're basically just warm bodies there to do quick jobs but since we're talking about coco beware uh, now's the time to continue my examination of coco's wwf trunks this may be the final chapter i'm not sure so to recap coco's been wearing um trunks with the letters wwf on the bum for uh most of the year, I think. Anyway, it's come up at WrestleMania 4 in a match that I talked about. It came up when he uh, did a run-in uh, to save Brutus Beefcake from the heinous attack of Outlaw Ron Bass with the Spurs right before SummerSlam. And and now here. So um, one thing about this 
uh, example of him wearing the WWF trunks is I know on certain releases, future releases of of Survivor Series 88, um, of course, after the whole WWF uh, ruling where they, they had to get rid of the F, get the F out and became WWE, they had to blur out the WWF symbol or letters on um, old uh, shows and stuff when they released them on DVD, I think, in particular. And as a result, they had to blur the WWF on Coco's bum for this this match, which looked ridiculous. And a lot of people not knowing what was on his trunks, you know, watching this in the future, like, why does uh, Coco have to have a blurred out ass in uh, Survivor Series 1988? But uh, he did. And uh, the reason is because they had to blur the WWF letters lest they uh, have to pay some money to the World Wildlife Fund or whatever the hell it was. Um, so I think I've probably said enough about Coco's trunks for a lifetime. We'll get back to the action. So Coco's in first, sweet power slam and missile drop kick on the red rooster. And uh, then the rooster eats a big boot from Hulk Hogan and a flying elbow for, to be the first eliminated. So it was kind of funny that the rooster, you know, you would look at this, the rosters and, you know, yeah, Coco and Hillbilly kind of stand out as like head scratchers. But the Red Rooster, of course, is also a head scratcher. And but it really his uh, involvement makes a lot of sense as far as like storylines that were going on at this time go, because he had just been um, recruited, basically, and added to the Heenan family. And so Bobby Heenan was his manager. So if you had to, I don't know if this was ever explained on TV in this way, but you could explain it by saying, well, now that Heenan's his manager, he's going to get him more prestigious uh, gigs or get involved in more prestigious matches. So Heenan was able to use his influence to get Rooster in a main event spot. And he immediately shits the bed here by being the first one eliminated. And there's already a dissension between Heenan and Rooster after uh, Rooster uh, is pinned and is walking back to the dressing room. You can see Heenan complaining about it. Um, yeah, so the seeds for what's coming up in the future uh, firmly planted here. And then uh, Hillbilly Jim, basically the, the biggest head scratcher of the night, is quickly disposed of by Akeem right after uh, Rooster is eliminated. And then Coco and his uh, sweet blurry ass uh, joins Hillbilly after an Akeem Bossman double team. So quickly we're down to four on the heel side and three on the good guy's side. And it's not looking good for the Mega Powers and the Mighty Hercules. So I just wanted to comment now about the big boss man and how huge he was in 1988 compared to um, what he would be like in the future. And I mean, size-wise, girth. Um, he was, uh, I don't know how heavy at this point, but he would start to slim down beginning in 1989 and by like 1991 he's he's positively felt compared to this uh, version of him but he can still i mean in 1988 he was very agile of course um the the extra weight didn't seem to affect him in the slightest bit so now we get the first of what would be two long hulk hogan beatdowns um this one comes at the 15 minute mark and yeah it's 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 a classic hogan beatdown Lots of sympathy for the for the guy in yellow. Um, he tags to Herc to get out of this 
finally and 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 Herc gets his revenge on Ted or tries to but then he's distracted by Virgil at ringside and of course you can see this coming a million miles away uh when a babyface is distracted by someone at ringside the heel will come and roll them up for a pin a classic finish that is still probably being used multiple times a week in modern WWE I don't know I don't watch the current product anyway right after that pin Macho Man Savage comes in, sneaks up, and rolls up a gloating Ted DiBiase. So we get two quick eliminations here. It's now three versus two um, for the heels. Now we get the second Hogan beatdown about five minutes after the first at about the 20-minute mark. Um, I, I have to say at this point that the crowd is just electric and have been the whole match, and I think for the whole night they were just on fire. So this crowd in Cleveland... Uh, deserves a tip of the hat 35 years later for being just amazing on the evening. Lots of energy, lots of heat. Um, we have Bossman stupidly wasting time on an almost finished Hogan. You know, I think he gives him his finisher, but then he insists on going to the top rope for a splash, which of course he misses. This leads to a hot tag to Macho. At this moment on the outside, we have some, uh, well, let's say questionable sort of racial heat looking through a 2023 lens when we have a slick on the outside dragging Liz away, um, trying to take her to the back. And uh, yeah, the crowd gets it's quite upset. I'm not going to point any fingers at a 35-year-old wrestling crowd, but eh, things were a little tense perhaps. Anyway... Hogan gets handcuffed to the ropes by the big boss man at this point. And, of course, Bossman is counted out while he's doing this. So that's a big break for the good guys. Um, then Bossman, as he's already been eliminated, continues to beat on Hogan with the nightstick. Um, we get great heel heat for this beatdown on both Hogan and Savage of the, at this point. Uh, Akeem, of course, goes overboard and gets disqualified for yet another big break for the for the good guys so both captains on the heel side that the twin towers are eliminated one by count out one by dq uh makes it pretty easy for hogan and savage from uh, here on in of course looking at it from a non-kfa perspective you didn't want um bossman to be beat convincingly here because they had a very lucrative series or what would be a very lucrative series of matches between Hogan and Bossman planned for the future that would go on well into 1989. So yes, you didn't want to see anything definitive here. So the beautiful Miss Elizabeth is the hero, actually, this match. She gets the keys from uh, Slick after he'd been downed, helps Hogan get the handcuffs off. It's now, of course, Hogan and Savage against the, against King Haku. Haku has Savage, you know... Uh, totally under control. He's got things well in hand here. And yet another fortunate uh, break for the good guys. We get Haku accidentally kicking a basically unconscious or near unconscious <laughs> Macho Man into the corner, uh, conveniently right into the waiting arms of Hulk Hogan for the tag. Hogan's in. And yeah, uh, Haku is easily and quickly disposed of to have the the match end with the mega powers as the sole survivors and victorious here. If you look at the eliminations, other than the red rooster, 
You got like a fluke roll up on DiBiase. You got a count out on Bossman. You got a DQ on Akeem. And you got Haku accidentally kicking Matraman into Hogan's arms for the hot tag. So really, it was just a bunch of flukes uh, that led to the good guys winning. But, you know, that's how things were done back in those days. We have a memorable post-match celebration where Hogan goes overboard, grabbing Liz, swinging her around, you know, so happy that they won. Of course, Liz helped Hogan get the handcuffs off. But Savage is still, like, recuperating from the, the beating he took in the match. And he sees Hogan and Liz celebrating, and you can clearly see here he's angry. I think this is the first time that they really showed that Savage was angry with Hogan. This, of course, had been simmering on low basically since WrestleMania 4, and now you turn the heat up now to to medium, getting closer to high, and uh, things going forward, we'd be um, heading towards the Mega Powers exploding in 1989. But this was sort of the first moment where you really saw for sure that Savage, you know, was going to eventually turn on Hogan. Anyway, this was a very fun match, uh, despite my qualms with how the uh, heels were eliminated. But yeah, great, perfect 1988, late 1980s WWF main event fun. We had great heat. Like I said, the crowd was on fire the whole time. Great healing here by the bad guys. And yeah, classic stuff. So that's about it. Um, I'm Kelly Nelson. Check out Touchdowns to Turnbuckles on the uh, NOSO North-South Connection YouTube channel. Uh, Ryan Gray is producing. It's me talking about football players that became pro wrestlers. Uh, We've done one episode. I guess by the time this drops, there'll be two episodes out. Um, And there's going to be seven in total. So it's going to be a thorough uh, deep dive on football players who became pro wrestlers. And it'll be going all the way until the Super Bowl in February. Okay, guys. Peace. I'm out. And yes, please check out Touchdowns the Turnbuckles with Kelly Nelson and I, Ryan Gray, exclusively on YouTube. All right, guys, that is it for the 1988 Survivor Series. We are back with the next two editions being a potpourri edition mixed in with two Saturday night's main events. First being from a week later in 1988, and then a week before the Royal Rumble in 1989. We are cruising out of 1988 and striving right into 1989. Looking forward to it as 1989 is an epic year for the WWF. That is it for this episode of Cronoso, and we will see you next time here as always. Thank you.